It's the retirement special, and I hope to follow soon. And joining me to talk about all this and so much more, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. He's the man who never says, I told you so, even when he told us so. The great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jimmy. Pleasure to be here once again, and I'm not here to say I told you so. I'm here to talk with you about what is easily one of the biggest wrestling stories of all time. You're here to rub our nose in it like a dog's piss puddle in the dining room that you call this all along. And you, and and the thing that I'm upset about is I went with you at first. Uh, you almost talked me into it. And then I said, no, no, Vince, is, he's not going to go down without a fight. And he's going to be there till the bitter end. And the bitter end came about three weeks later. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and children of all ages, for the first time in 40 years, Vince McMahon is not the leader of the biggest wrestling promotion in the world. Vince McMahon is not the man in charge of the most giant corporate conglomerate wrestling promotion, the first ever, only ever billion dollar company in wrestling. He's not. He has announced his retirement, and it all stems from this one incident that we've been talking about for the past month or so. It's it, Brian. It's almost like an Edgar Allan Poe novel, the Telltale Tart. That's what they're going to write when they write the story of Vince McMahon's ultimate demise from atop the mountain. I'm Who would have sure, thunk? I'm not sure if that's the title they'll use for this venture well no i'm going to copyright it trademark um <laughs> but i this seemed even though people thought it was coming and thought it was coming when they heard the news then we thought no obviously vince is coming out here and saying hey i'm still right here what precipitated this event this announcement i saw somebody speculated it had been made about a week beforehand but He's been pretty present right along for the past few weeks. Do you think, is there something else that they've found out that may or may not come out? Was it just an accumulation? Of, is, I've always said Vince was like Trump, but smarter and more articulate. Was he willing to listen to his inner circle, the ones who knew what they were talking about, instead of bringing in the crackpot Giuliani's of the world who thought he was going to barricade in the, in Titan tower and fight it out. I mean, how did this, obviously it came out at four Oh five on Eastern on Friday afternoon so that it wouldn't tank the stock price going into the weekend, but. And also, so the story would be somewhat buried in the news. It's very, it's a very much old school news mentality just because of the way things work nowadays, but burying a story late in the afternoon on a Friday is an old school trick. Well, it didn't work because it was a buried alive and the Undertaker's hand shot back out because people got it anyway. They they reported it on 
WDRB 41 News at 4 here in Louisville by 5 o'clock. So, boom, it didn't get buried that good. But what do you think precipitated this? What was the straw that broke the chairman's back? Honestly, in the long run, it was actually going public. Because if his company was still (laughs) private, it wouldn't be an issue like this. But even though he has 80% of the voting shares, he still has a board of directors. And he has a stock. And if the entire board of directors walked out because they couldn't ignore what they were finding out about Vince, it would tank the stock. What would the company be worth? Who'd want to do business with the company? We said before, and we don't know whether or not there was any pressure at all, if any of the network partners, the people paying all this money for this content, if they got wary of this and decided they didn't want to do business with Vince, that was a major problem for WWE. We don't know about any of that, but when I said that it was Vince's goodbye, and he appeared again on the John Cena episode of Raw, and that was his actual goodbye, the last moment of Vince McMahon on TV is him jumping off the stairs. (laughs) After he got hung up on the rope trying to get out of the ring. That was his actual goodbye, because there was no recovery. That's why I thought this. How is he going to come back if, after the first story, which sounded fishy right away, and I thought to myself, man, if any of the other things I have heard throughout the years from any of the people who were in the room, if any of them, and not you, obviously, if any of them were remotely Yeah, I didn't even get to be in the room for any of this shit. If any of them were remotely true, I wonder if any of those stories would come out now, and then other stories came out. So I'm thinking, okay, if those came out, and I... I've heard rumors about other things. And now HBO Real Sports is looking into Vince again. And boy, there's a comeback. Are they going to bring Bob Costas back to 30 years later? He's going to fucking drop the strap. Armin Katayan. papers out of my hand, motherfucker. I think it was Armin Katayan, right? Because there were two different incidents. There was one with Bob Costas and there was one on Real Sports. Who? He slapped Costas' notes, did he not? Or was that the other guy? That was the other. That was Real Sports. That was the other guy. He just the gave one's working Costas, on a special right now. He gave Costas withering glances and brusque remarks. Um, so I think Vince had to go for a number of reasons, especially if there's more to come out. And we don't know this, but I am going to say this. If there is more to come out enough that they were able to convince him to walk away like this, weirdly and publicly, and issue weird statements to talent, if this was going to happen... You have to wonder if his focus may be going from, I mean, I don't know. I would think that you may want to, even if nothing happens, get ready for a criminal defense. What? If there are stories coming out about something with women. Well, it's, it seems like so far all the women made a profit, at least. It was, it was a business transaction, not any criminal offenses. Sexual misconduct. That's what it was. It was he was paying them off for the infidelity, and any potential sexual misconduct. But now, is that illegal? Is sexual misconduct illegal? No, is... What I'm saying to you is, if the transaction is already completed, if the person who was misconducted against agrees, instead of calling the cops, to take a settlement of some cash prize, then does that nullify that person's opportunity to press charges criminally because they've, oh God, you were okay with it a little while ago. 
Well, that's a Stephen P. New question, but let me ask you this. We should have thought of that when we had him on, but what we, anybody out there in, in podcast land, it seems, it seems if I went and robbed you, Brian, you, you run a bank. And if I go and rob your bank, but then I come back later on and say, looky here, I'm sorry. Here's the money. And plus here's something for your trouble. Are we even, and you accept that. And then later on, you call the cops. Is I don't I don't know. There's a gray area there, isn't there? I don't know. That's like Stormy Daniels. I'm not sure. But let me ask you this: Looking at it from another perspective, if Vince's goal has been to sell the company, if that's the reason why Nick Khan, all of a sudden their agent is working in the company as the chief executive, if Vince's goal is to sell this company, which he has 80 percent of the voting shares, him and his family and family trusts and grandchildren's future, it's all tied into this stock. If his goal was to sell it, and he knows him having to walk away is the only way he'll be able to get it, because he's not giving up his shares. That's still there. They're just saying he's giving up any actual role with the company, from creative to executive roles. But he still has a stock. And well, and let's talk about this. They're saying that, aren't they? But what would have happened I can't remember when the last time Triple H was the vice president of talent relations. Was it three or four years ago before they brought Johnny Ace back? Whatever the case, five years ago. No, I think it was sooner than that. Wasn't he still head of talent relations after AEW started? I think, okay, well, let's just say, for the sake of argument, four years ago, if Vince had walked out of Titan Tower or his high-priced Stamford condo and gotten run over by a rainbow bread truck, who would have been running the company at that point? It would have been Stephanie and Triple H. And when did Nick Khan show up? A little bit after that, a little bit after AEW started, because remember, it was like, oh my God, they got a con too. Well, they, okay, but then three years ago, it would have been Triple H, Stephanie, and Nick Khan. Guess who's running the thing now? So. Isn't that amazing that the childhood friend of The Rock? And Stephanie McMahon, the childhood friend of Andre the Giant, would grow up together and run WWE? Who would have thought? And, and then on the other side of the fence, Tony Khan, everybody's childhood friend, is running the other one. But, but no, seriously. So Vince McMahon now owns or controls 80% of the stock or the voting stock or whatever the way they've got it set up. Stephanie, his daughter, is the co-CEO, which pretty much everybody over the last number of years expected Stephanie to be to step into Vince's spot. And Triple H is in charge of talent, which everybody expected all along, and he was quite some time ago. And that would have happened if something had happened to Vince, like I said. And Nick Khan is the business guy, could now he can really go full force and sell them to Disney and and then Stephanie and Triple H get a couple billion dollars apiece and Vince gets a couple billion dollars and everybody just goes and buys their own private island. But if anybody thinks that Vince McMahon, because he retired, is going to go to the condo and take up fucking knitting, or well, what do old people do these days? I don't know, because he's the only old person I've ever heard of who has no hobbies whatsoever, other than, you know, paralegals or whatever. He has nothing 
we've ever heard about that he enjoys or like he doesn't say like oh i love going to the movies no well, no he he does have something he enjoys and likes running businesses <laughs> and, and and you know fucking with people uh but so can he possibly ignore the product not watch it not have opinions on it and it's not like that he's not going to be able to get the CEO, at least one of them, on the phone. And isn't she the charwoman also? Stephanie's the charwoman of the WWE? Yeah, see, that's important also to note. Her and Nick Khan are co-CEO, but she's the chairwoman. There's no co-chairperson. She's the I thought, chairwoman. Was, I thought somebody said she was the charwoman. I'm sorry, she's the chairwoman. Chairwoman. The charwoman. The charwoman. <laughs> it's an, you've never been to Victorian England, have you? That would have been a great... Maybe that's something for Travis on on one of these also. Vince is a charwoman or Stephanie. But anyway. Not this one, though, Travis. No. Not this one. You can do something else. I got some ideas. But nevertheless, the point is, if Vince is going to be talking to Stephanie regularly because she's his daughter, and Triple H is his son-in-law, and he's going to be hanging around Stephanie whenever she's talking to Vince, we, we're all thinking, oh my God, what changes are going to occur? There's going to be some, obviously. But how drastic is it going to be with the president? Another way that Vince is like Trump. Even when out of office, his presence looms large and the menace is still there. Well, we've heard that John Laurinaitis is out. Well, yeah. So that's and one that, of Vince's that's, guys. That's a plus. That's and that's a, a Vince plus. guy, though, more than anything. I mean, if you're looking at it in terms yeah. of the dynamics, the other big Vince guys are clearly Kevin Dunn and Bruce Pritchard, and everyone's right now looking at Kevin Dunn. Yes, and uh, a lot of people have tweeted me about this. And, I, I, again, nobody, I don't care how good you are, whether you're a great, wonderful person or a miserable human being like old Bucky Beaver. Nobody in the history of, can you think television has been the executive producer of any one show, genre, continuation of series, whatever, for 40 fucking years? And Dick so Clark. it's. That's it. That's because he owned the production company. That's right. It was his. So, Vince, I can understand being the executive, executive producer, but Kevin Dunn. You know, Hollywood should have come calling a long time ago for a man of his talents. For the Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. But the the main thrust of Vince retiring and everybody losing their shit about it, for positive or negative, whether you liked him or you hated him, whether the some of the wrestlers are happy or sad that he's gone, and we'll talk about one of them at least, who wasn't too pleased. But how much major shit is going to is going to change is going to be able to change is there going to be conflict within the extended McMahon family if Vince doesn't want some shit changed and he sees it start to change and you know that's the only way i can think that there would be a massive departure from Vince's overall vision there may be you know triple h is he going to go back and try to sign all the guys that are still available of his that they just fired, what, six months or a year ago? And then you get into, you know, whiplash booking, like when WCW had 
five different booking administrations in one year and a guy was beating everybody and three weeks later he's doing jobs for the plumber so i mean you know we we might see hopefully a return to more of triple h's nxt vision of actually having some goddamn matches you'd give a shit about and making them look a little bit more important on the overall program but i mean i don't know how how much of a 90 degree right turn this titanic ship is going to take especially when nothing happened to vince vince is still existing in the world and vince is still obviously at this point on good terms with people in his family you talked about if all the board members walked out how many stephanie's on the board right i believe so is it what vince was on the board and he got suspended from that when all this came out right I believe so. How many other board members are there, and who is it? I don't is, have it uh, in front of me. Give me a second. I was about to say, research this, because I wonder how many board members would have walked out under any circumstances. I know there's okay, a few civilians involved. Go ahead. The, here's the board of directors. Vince McMahon is on the executive board. Nick Khan is on the executive board. Stephanie McMahon is on the executive board. Paul Levesque is on the step is on the executive board. One would think with the first four names he'd probably be safe. Then on the compensation board, uh, and this is a committee member, Steve Coonan, chief executive officer of the Atlanta Hawks and State Farm Arena. How 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 is he in how did he get to this position, this vaunted position? Well, he's an executive. That's what you do with board of directors. You find other executives well, you get well, along with, and you well, stack we, your board with them. That's what you do. They just say, oh, <laughs> let's let's get that guy that fucking runs the Atlanta Hawks. We hey. need him. I don't know. How did this, how was he chosen to be on the board of directors of a wrestling promotion? Well, also on the board of directors is Ignance Lehud, the chief executive officer. Wait, you almost made me spit Sprite. Ignatz? Ignatz the mouse? Ignace, excuse me, I-G-N-A-C-E, Ignace, okay, Lehud, Chief Executive Officer of Mahid Al-Futaim, Leisure Entertainment and Cinema. What? I'm guessing this may be one of their friends from the Middle East. From the East! Well, the he's a- and soothsayer. He's and- a committee member. Also- Boy, that's just so they can say, hey, Igmo! All right, we don't know about those two. They may have they may have walked over Vince. Go ahead, keep going. Also on the board of directors is Erica Nardini, the chief executive officer of Barstool Sports. She's a committee member. Committee member. Also on the board, Steve Pamone, the president of Versus. He is a committee member as well as a committee chair for governance and nominating. What do these people fucking do? That's a good question. Maybe you could ask Manjeet Singh, the former president of Home Entertainment for Sony Pictures Entertainment. He is on, excuse me, he's the committee chair for compensation. Let's talk about paralegals, Manjeet. Wait a minute, who's getting compensated here? And how they have a whole committee? Whose compensation do they talk about? You know what, I'll break down the committees in a second. The two other members here listed. Jeffrey R. Speed, 
the former executive vice president and CFO of Six Flags, Inc., and also Alan M. Wexler, Senior Vice President of Innovations and Growth at General Motors. And somehow these people just, they call them and say, hey, come on and be on the board of this completely unrelated company that you have nothing to do with and no experience in. Well, there's no one from wrestling they would put in there, but also think about it if you ran Jim Cornette, Inc., and you had a board of directors, and let's say you have friends that run other successful companies, like, hey, I'm going to put these guys on my board. It looks good. Hopefully they go my way with the voting. Why do do I want people running successful companies on my board? They may try to take my company over. I want dumb shits, right? That way I'm smarter than they are. Yeah. Isn't that the way you do it? There are also four committees, the Audit Committee, the Compensation Committee, the Executive Committee, and the Governance and Nominating Committee. And various people have various They have a committee on nominating people to what? To the other committees? How does it, did, what do they just spend all their time just sitting around fucking committeeing with each other? They ought to be committed. So, <laughs> so now we're, 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 let's, let's identify the players again now. Vince is retired. He's, he's going to, to his, to the home over there in Greenwich. Wait a minute. He sold that. He's got the condo in Stanford. Stephanie is the co charwoman. Along with Nick Khan, Triple H is head of talent relations. John Laurinaitis has been asked to leave and never return like a cast off from the odd couple. And he's walking around downtown New York carrying a suitcase on the side of the road right now. Bruce and Kevin Dunn, we mentioned, they're still around. But they were heavily, heavily tied to Vince's anal orifice. So now they've got to seek another cavern to crawl up in. What's going to happen with the creative? Do you think, since you've called this thing from the start, Brian, do you think that we will finally see more talented in-ring guys and less gimmicks? Do you think that NXT will be rehabbed and rehabilitated from what they've done to it do you think it'll make any difference because that's what i said earlier about the whiplash booking when it goes back and forth even if they went back to what made nxt a better program is it too late have they run people off will people trust it if they come back again will the you know will the fans of what the WWE is doing now, whatever it is that may be, those boring paint dry and cheese molding programs, will they stick around if Triple H brings a better in-ring product and more emphasis on the guys instead of the hoopla to the main roster, which hasn't really seen that, just NXT did. I know there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of wrestlers probably thinking, oh my gosh, this is our chance, but Again, I don't know, because now they're stuck in a position much like AEW has fans, but the people who are most, I would opposed to liking anything about AEW, mainly our audience, are people who used to like fucking wrestling and are pretty much disgusted by what it's turned into and all the foolery. The same thing works if 
if the fans they have left with the WWE are liking the shit they've been doing, then are they going to like that changed? And is it too late to get the people back that might like good wrestling? Your thoughts? I think creative will be interesting. It'll be the first signs to the public that there are changes. When all of a sudden the word belt is used freely. When the word fans are used freely. When people can speak naturally. Let's see how this affects the commentators. How different is Michael Cole going to be without Vince yelling at him? (laughs) Do you think we'll actually hear the word hospital instead of medical facility? I mean, there's going to be little changes like that, and then it's going to be bigger changes just in the overall direction. Will we get any more vomiting angles? (laughs) That's a Vince thing. And then in terms of the actual creative, that's going to be interesting. Paul Levesque was that morning, and we could talk about this in a little while, Paul Levesque was that morning brought back as the head of talent relations creative i guess is still technically under bruce even though vince isn't there bruce's talent is pleasing the person he's trying to like you know when vince he knows how to make vince happy with what the show should be i don't know if bruce could do that for a a triple h or stephanie vision i say stephanie just because they're married together but in terms of the actual show too who's going to be vince is triple h going to be running the show And then who's running everything else? I mean, taking Vince out of the actual event, the taping, changes the dynamic as well. Well, Bruce's talent, as you said, is, and the reason why the Vince brought him back is imparting Vince's vision to the rest of the writing staff, whatever the case. I got to be honest with you, from everything that I've been able to determine, Bruce thinks good wrestling is kind of the WWF fucking style that Vince has mostly always had. And he forgives the Red Roosters and the fucking gobbledygookers and, you know, all of the foolery because it's, you know, I've mentioned everybody needs personality. When you get, he'd get a great talent, you'd want to, mold something but he needs personality and they'd fucking put him in a goddamn tutu or whatever you know so i think that's kind of the stuff he'd be doing on his own and the question is will triple h and or stephanie want that because that's what's got him to this point is the entertainment horseshit that vince always valued up and down the the show, whether the guys are over or not, it's just uh, send them out there in a goofy gimmick. And I I just I'm not sure. But to yeah, and and here's another thing: if the if the show gets more adult, and I'm not talking about everybody getting Tourette syndrome and showing boobies, I'm talking about the guys actually being allowed to act like adults and talk like adults and fight like adults and have adult conversations instead of the stupid, you know, childish banter back and forth. Again, is it too late for the people who have already said that fucking wrestling is too silly and phony anymore? And will it, will it offend the people who want to look at programming at a nine-year-old level? And again, I think if Bruce is there, Vince still has someone doing his bidding for him. I think if Vince is there, there's no way Vince isn't on the phone with him, telling him what he wants things to be. If the only number that Vince's phone would dial would be the fucking time and weather, he would be on the phone with the time and weather 20 hours a day. 
He's got to be on the phone talking to people and trying to get shit done. Yeah, Wayne Dooley discovers Twitter for real. <laughs> I wonder if he's ever actually seen and done it himself or whether he has one of when I was down there for the Hall of Fame, he had two assistants. Either that or his assistant had an assistant. Because they were both standing outside the door to his office with like three suits in each hand uh, so he could pick what he was going to wear on TV that night. He used to just bring his own, and it was there was one of them. So I'm sure he's probably got somebody punching the buttons on Twitter too. We'll see what happens. I mean, that's the thing. What's he going to really do now? All his life has been WWE, not wrestling, WWE, his wrestling, WWF, WWE. And now apparently that's gone. Again, we'll see. The proof will be in the pudding. We'll see what they do with Lacey Evans. We'll see what they do with various people <laughs> that appear to be Vince kind of projects. Did you see the statement that Vince McMahon issued the talent? Well, I, I did, but why don't you read it? Because it's so heartwarming or heartwarming, whichever the case may be. And that had to be dictated by somebody else also. This was a statement, and I'm getting this from PWInsiderElite.com. Mike Johnson reporting last night at 7.32 p.m. as we are recording. The following message was issued to WWE contracted talents this afternoon via text. To all WWE superstars, as I approach 77 years old, OMG, am I really that old? I feel it's time for me to retire. I've thoroughly enjoyed sharing my passion, wisdom, and love of the business with you. No longer will you see the smiling, docile, level-headed, calm presence at Gorilla every week. Your dedication to WWE will ensure that our company will continue to grow and prosper. Our organization is nothing without you. You are WWE's only natural resource chosen to perform in front of a global audience. You are all WWE Global Ambassadors. Carry the WWE flag wherever you go. Wave it high and proud. And bust your ass to be all you can be as a person and as a performer. One other thing, I won't be with you, but I'll be watching. (laughs) Remember to keep your hands up, grab a hold, and sell. By the way, SmackDown airs live tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central (laughs) on Fox. Vince. (laughs) He plugged SmackDown to the talent? What the fuck is that? Well, and again, I know somebody wrote that for him because Vince McMahon would not say OMG, okay? But it obviously was with Vince's approval. I'm sure they discussed it and Vince said, write something up, and I'm sure he enjoyed the self-deprecating line about his calm presence and and he signed off and and then they wrote what they thought that he would get a kick out of them saying for him and he did and he signed off on it that's where that statement came from the tweet was a lot more abrupt the tweet was real abrupt he didn't even use all of his characters um and what was the um oh there was there was a line I was going to remark on in the statement you just read also when he, he was, but keep your hands up, sell, grab a hold. That's classic Vince-isms. Uh, so they put that in there. But it, the the tweet 
announcing his retirement was just at 77. It's time for me to retire. No, no, no. it's. Oh, 77. Time for me to retire. (laughs) (laughs) He's, He's old. He's two weeks older than he was two weeks ago when he was out on TV. He said, I'll be with you forever, together, together, wherever we go. You know what? One of these stars. What? Go ahead. What were you going to say? What I was going to say is anything that's being investigated right now outside of whatever internal investigations there are. And I'm assuming this doesn't stop the internal investigations. I really don't know. But the Wall Street Journal, HBO Real Sports, any other reporters that are looking into this, if you have something or you're working on something, you're going to reach out to Jerry McDivitt. You're going to reach out to WWE for statement, for comment before you run with it, right? Right. So they're aware of whatever's coming. So whatever caused this to be the week for Vince McMahon to do this, that Friday afternoon, this was planned. I'm going to guess they knew a few days in advance they were going to do this. Well, or is anything coming because was it an or else situation? Unless you re- retire, uh, we will do this or say this or write this. So we don't know. If, if something comes out, we'll know something came out. If something doesn't come out, we'll never know whether there was something that stayed in or not. Because after all, it's, you know, whether it's in and out. Well, in and out's how Vince got in this whole situation. Well, let me ask you about one of these things, though. We'll talk about this all right now. Stephanie McMahon opening SmackDown, leading the audience in a thank you Vince chant. Oh, if anything boy. does come out, how much worse is that going to look? Well, but it, it couldn't have been any colder if she was Mr. Freeze, right? Was that a daughter saying, announcing the retirement of her beloved father who had led the company for 40 years? Or was that... Hey, we're going to get this over with and get on with the show and hope you won't notice. Three minutes. It was three minutes. Vince McMahon, whether you like it or not, Vince McMahon is the biggest name, bar none, the biggest personality, the most dominant force in wrestling over the last 40 years. And on his own show, he got three minutes from his daughter. And... She's already in the ring and just abruptly breaks the news. There wasn't any buildup of, you know, my father who took this company over from my grandfather 40 years ago and built it into no buildup of him. No, you know, it wasn't a testimonial at a retirement dinner. It was a goddamn, you know, impersonal PR statement to get it out and get it over with. And when she announced that Vince was retiring, there were absolutely no cheers from the crowd, and there was somewhat light and disgruntled booing. And then as soon as she tried to go into her prepared remarks and mention the word thank you, because she was going to give thanks from all of the crew and everybody to the fans, they started chanting, thank you, Vince. And she shut him up. No, you're getting ahead of me. Can you, was there ever any organic chant in wrestling that came up, thank you, or or whatever, that Vince McMahon would have ever said, jump in and cut it off? Well, it's a whole new era. If there was ever a sign that there's a new era of WWE, there it is. Um, But this was so rushed. 
And you could tell by the way it was rushed and impersonal from his own daughter that it was forced, that if not, she would have baby-faced him. You know, she would have given a reason, a, even if it was a specious reason, she would have given a reason, a logical reason for him to have, be retiring. He's almost 80, and he's accomplished so much. And finally, he's decided that it's, that's the time to enjoy his family and the fruits of his labors, and the company will be in capable hands, but of course, my father is irreplaceable. And then they could have done, thank you, Vince, thank you. It, it, it was just so abrupt and uncomfortable to hear his daughter, like, getting it out of there and getting it over with. And do you think they needed to do something on the show? I mean, the story had just broken less than four hours before this. If the show had just started and moved on, it's not like the fans would have just organically started chanting, we want Vince or anything. Well, Did you have I, to address this on TV? I, I think, yes, the, the stepping down of, again, the biggest name in the modern era of professional wrestling. He's been known probably more than maybe The Rock now and maybe Stone Cold. I don't even know, but it might be neck and neck with Hulk Hogan that people know who Vince McMahon is. He has name recognition that transcends the wrestling business, and it's his company, and he's led it for 40 years, and they always want a rating. I would have fucking said, hey, at the top of the program, the huge news has been revealed today. Vince McMahon, at the age of 77, is retiring after, well, it's he, he bought the company 40 years ago from his father, and he was announced, an announcer since, what, 70? <clears throat> oh, God, early 70s. 50 years in wrestling. I would have said Monday night, we're going to have an amazing on Raw career retrospective on Vince McMahon and give the studio all weekend to put together one of the things that they do better than anybody in the fucking world of tribute video. And they'd get a number on Monday, and they would play it and make a big deal out of it, and he wouldn't even need to be there in person. But more needed to be said and done. I don't care if people accused him of, you know, sodomizing a fucking Dalmatian on Broadway. The fans are going to be pissed about this because they don't get a goodbye or a big fucking deal out of it. The fans that they've got left... And remember, they've still got two or three times more than AEW does. So uh, for, for them, and just for Vince's importance, I don't know why they wouldn't, you know, make a bigger deal. And everybody, oh, he was accused of doing this and that. The, their fans and their viewers don't give a shit. He's not accused of committing a crime. He's accused of paying a lot of people a lot of money not to tell, talk about what he did with them in a intimate situation. And with, none with of that, potentially more to come out. We don't know what's well, going to come out. If it's really bad, she can't, they can't do more than this. Because she's on the board of directors. None of their audience gives a shit. Now, if something bad comes out, then I will retract that statement. But I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm I'm seeing a lot of, uh, what do they call it? The modus operandi is he's not, you know, fucking uh, 
tackling people in cater in catering or down in the uh, snack bar at Titan Tower. It's an arranged situation that somehow goes sideways or with the talent, I would be more amenable to going, oh boy, if they hadn't taken money too. If somebody pisses me off and I'm indignant about it or I feel like I've been wronged or whatever the case, then I'm going to do one of two things. I'm either going to not mention it or I'm going to try to get even. But once I take a couple million dollars for it, I'm thinking that the fucking feelings have been soothed over. Nah, you can't think like that because that's, look at what happened to Trump. These women, a lot of them had no idea there were other women who had similar experiences. They hear about that. They come out and they talk about it. And I think, I did, I didn't and we don't know the details. And we don't know the details. He didn't even give, give Stormy Daniels $5 million and she was a professional. If he hadn't been so cheap. We don't know any of the details about what Vince did. That would have necessitated all of these payments ah. and potentially more. And if the board of directors is aware of this through their investigation and she's on the board of directors and you feel like you have to address it on TV, then this was the only way to do it. If you feel like Vince did nothing wrong, then you do a nice video package of Vince who just abruptly announced his retirement on Twitter. But they did it a certain way. I think that there's more to come out. I think that the influence of Vince on anything further will be apparent if it's there or not on TV. And that'll be the story because... I I think when he made his goodbye, he made his goodbye. And then he decided he didn't want to leave office. And they couldn't (laughs) figure out how to get him out. And now they realize whoever it was that talked to him, Jerry McDivitt, his family. You know, again, they announced Triple H was coming back full time that morning. We thought that was going to be the story we'd be talking about today while recording the show. Yeah, and I'm still pissed because I was waiting to see the mixed tag team match at SummerSlam. Stephanie and Triple H against Vince and Bruce. <laughs> and now we're not going to get to see that. And I was trying to figure out how, how they could come up with a finish where Stephanie beat Bruce without hurting herself. Hey, if Luger could hip toss Yokozuna, <laughs> she could take Bruce. She could take care of Bruce for a good finish. That that used to be an old line in the locker room back when veterans knew what was going on. I mean, they'd, they'd be booked with a fucking kid that they were trying to give a push to and wherever, and the kid was going to go over, and the veteran would sit down and look at him and say, Kid, I just don't know if I can figure out a way to put you over without hurting myself. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, you may, you may, that may be the only explanation for blowing off it's like Mick Jagger decides to leave the Stones, and they just, okay, well, thank you, Mick. We'll see you later. And no c- ceremonial tribute. It would be like if Mick Jagger left the Stones like that, if two weeks before he came out and told everyone how much he loves them, that he'll be there forever. Then he made another appearance, and then all of a sudden he announces, you know what, now is the time to retire. I was wrong. Well, Now's we'll the time to know. go. Yeah, all of a sudden. We'll never know. No, we may know. But somebody else said there it was time to go, and now everybody's up in arms about uh, whether Brock actually left or not. And apparently, the story was that when Brock was given a heads up 
that Vince was retiring and about to announce that on Twitter or whatever. He was what the fuck? And uttered some, I believe I saw it on the internet, quoted as some derivative of if he goes, I go, and stormed out of the building. And uh, I'm sure Heyman was involved on the phone or whatever, but they got him before he got on his plane and flew back to Saskatoon or Saskatchewan. And they got him to come back. So instead of being on the first segment of SmackDown, he was on the last segment where he came out and (laughs) beat up the young guy they're trying to push. He figured out a way to beat Theory without hurting himself. Um, Will Theory be Austin Theory again? That's a Vinceism. I hope everybody gets their names back. I really do. At least, you know, not even their real names, just two names would be good. As long as it's not Grayson Waller or Idris Enough. But so Brock Bales and, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a temperamental cat anyway, as Seth Franklin Rollins would say. Scat. Scat man Rollins. Rollins. Yeah. Scatty bebop. (laughs) Um, you cool cats and kittens (laughs) and little pussies, a lot of them around. But uh, some people on Twitter, I saw, well, is Brock this close or such, you know, personal friends with Vince? Well, yeah, they've been working with each other for 20 years and Vince has paid Brock by this point, tens of millions of dollars. So yeah, they're probably friendly. I don't know if it's a goddamn I'd take a bullet for you situation, but I think Brock probably an offshoot of one of two things. Either he's like, what the fuck? Without Vince, this place is going to go to shit. (laughs) Or number two, he was probably offended at the concept of, because let's face it, everybody knows Vince didn't retire on purpose. We've, you know, pretty much established he was never going to quit until he drew his last breath. But I can see Brock being upset that he's, well, they're going to make him fucking resign. Fuck that. I'm out of here. I can see that. I could also see Brock and Heyman figuring out this is a great way over the course of two hours, once word got out, to get more money for the future. Right now is the time. Well, and that's, we don't know what was the conversation that made Brock, enticed Brock to return to the fold. In less than five hours, but uh, he he stormed out before 5 p.m. Eastern, and he was back by 9.45 to come out and beat everybody up, and you know if Heyman got on the phone with him to try to talk him into coming back, I would have to think that financial remuneration and consideration would have to be part of that conversation. Hey, let me ask you this. If he really said those words, and we have no reason to doubt it, if he goes, I go, and then he left. And Triple H is running the show that night. What are the chances that Triple H or Stephanie get on the phone to Vince? Say, hey, Vince, call Brock and tell him it's okay to come here. I tell him that you're okay with it. Do you think that happened? Or do you think that could happen? Oh, if it was necessary, it absolutely did happen. If, um, and, you know, by the uh, reporting of the incident, they may have just tried to do that first, depending on what Brock's bitch was. If it wasn't, if it was about Vince himself, yeah, they probably went to that first. If it was about, you know, just the principle of the thing, well, why are they doing that? Well, then they may have gone to, you know, somebody close to Brock, like Heyman, that ta- he takes their advice or whatever. But 
it may very well have been either way that Vince, you know, I just said Vince loves to be on the phone here a little while ago. So, you know, he was standing by. It was some form of communication to that building and knew exactly what was happening pretty much as soon as it happened. So whatever the method was that they thought was best for Brock in Brock's state of mind at that point in time is what they implemented, I would think, first. But at least they don't have to call Goldberg for SummerSlam because they were reporting it. The phone calls were already going out. And, and where did it just come out within a few days of that, that Goldberg was still under contract? They could still call him at any time. Yeah, and pretty much almost needed to there because that's the thing. What happens if Brock gets run over by a rainbow bread truck? Well, then they've got... Rainbow you know, Brock, it, that's the headline. <laughs> but then they've got Roman Reigns... Goldberg once a year for diminishing returns at this point and seen as making movies, made you most in pictures and sitcom. You know what, though? If Triple H really does have a hand in creative, this is going to be one of the things that we see the difference. Because for all the complaints we want to make about Adam Cole or Keith Lee or various other people when they got brought up to the main roster in WWE, or even how they were using NXT at the end, like Theory. Triple H did get those guys over to that audience. Now, again, that's an argument. That's an AEW argument. They're over to that audience. But NXT under Triple H did a better job of taking people. Asuka, who got over great in NXT, and now I understand why you think what you think of her in the main roster, because she got under Vince's control. Yeah. So I think it does give us a little bit of hope. And again, if that doesn't happen over the next couple months that's a clear sign that there's a bigger problem than we thought but if all of a sudden we start seeing some of these logical changes that remind us of nxt of the past it'll tell us what's going on well you know you just mentioned something over to that audience and that's an unfortunate thing sometimes because it stunts growth especially with aew there's no way that anybody else will want to break into that little private club they got going on if they don't open up their doors to people who, you know, just won't tolerate just anything. But with with Triple H, he got guys over to the NXT audience with the main roster, Raw and SmackDown. They have an audience, but nobody's over to it. That audience, I think... It's the habit. We watch SmackDown. It's what we do. It's what we've done. Sure, it's boring now. Sure, and Raw, same thing. Sure, it's boring now, but I've likened wrestling sometimes in the past to the, you know, horrible, abusive relationship that you don't want to bring to an end because you think that it will be better, but they haven't gotten any better. So they've got an audience, but nobody is over to that audience. And Triple H... Since he did it once with an affiliated audience of SmackDown and Raw, NXT, maybe he can do it again that since those people are still sitting there, at least he can get some of the guys over to him. Because right now it's just, it's the product, it's the brand, it's the idea of going to see the WWE as the casual fan that, oh, we'll go to a SmackDown. But there's nothing interesting to really get people fired up and invested in 
that guy or that match or that feud, except when they bring in the stars from the past because those guys are over. So maybe Triple H can at least help tighten up that loophole that they've come up with where they've got an audience, but they don't care about any one particular individual enough. We'll see. I mean, NXT pushed a guy named Tommaso Ciampa and he got up to WWE and all of a sudden he's just a guy and he has half of his name. We're not Gargano fans, but he pushed a guy named Johnny Wrestling (laughs) on TV. (laughs) So, I mean, there's going to be clear signs if there is a change and it's a Triple H style change. But again, Bruce is still there. What's Bruce going to do? If Vince has no hand in creative and creative goes in a different direction, yet Bruce is still the liaison between the office and whoever's supposed to do what they have to do, he's going to be able to just relay a whole different system of wrestling, a whole different way of looking at it. It's going to be interesting. Well, you know, I think ultimately all of these people need a good night's sleep. You, you got to, you want Vince now he's finally retired. He hadn't stopped working in the past 50 years. He's going to need a good night's sleep because that's especially important for the elderly, especially the elderly that don't have any hobbies and aren't going to really be able to relax no matter what they do. Or Triple H. Now he's got much more uh, responsibility on his plate and he's had heart issues. He's going to have to make sure he takes care of himself, gets plenty of sleep. Stephanie, she's got to dream up all kinds of different ways to cut Nick Khan's balls off and take total control. So she's going to need a good night's sleep so she can dream up those things. You know where I'm going with this, Brian. It all comes down to one thing. A good night's sleep makes you more productive, whether you're a plumber or a doctor or a lawyer or in high, high corporate intrigue at the highest levels of executiveness. That's what the people at Helix Sleep can do for you. Folks, all you got to do is take a two-minute sleep quiz. If you've just been, if you're, for example, a recently deposed uh, chairperson of a major billion-dollar company, well, now you got two minutes because you don't have a job. So you go to helixsleep.com, You take the two-minute sleep quiz. They match you to a customized mattress that gives you the best sleep of your life. We've talked about them. They got soft ones. They got hard ones. You know, a lot of people, that would fit. But they've even got medium ones. The mediums are the best. Not too soft, not too hard. Whether you sleep on your side, your back, your stomach, standing on your head, moving around all night, sitting cross-legged, whatever you position you Put yourself in on this mattress. It's going to be fantastic. That's why they were awarded the best number one overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ magazine. And those golfers, after a hard day on the links, they love a good night's sleep. It's not golfers. We went over this already. Golf quarterly, I thought you said. No, gentlemen's quarterly. What do you mean? A golfer can't be a gentleman? Well, some golfers are. you think are. all golfers are just rude pricks out there? Why do you think they yell four before they hit you in the head with a, with a ball? I think golfers who cheat are not gentlemen, but golfing's obviously a game of gentlemen. Well, the rules of golf are kind of negotiable, aren't they? You're out there in the field. There's nobody really watching you close. You got a long space between you and your opponent. You could fudge a little and nobody would know. So you're a cheater. 
No. Have I'm you played a golf? Have you played golf? Never in my life. Do you have any interest in playing golf? Never in my life. Why? What the fuck am I going to do? First of all, if I want to go out in the middle of the field, I want some trees. I want some deer. I want. Some, I can take my dog to play. You can hit the golf ball of deer and trees. No, Just no, take the golf ball of tea. It's a bunch of, like George Carlin said, a bunch of rich white fucks with nothing better to do chasing a little ball around a fucking field. They ought to take all those golf courses for all those rich billionaire white fucks and that's where you ought to put the homeless. A lot of good ground property is being taken up by this ridiculous hobby that takes way too long and is boring as shit. But if you need a good night's sleep afterwards, you can get right on top of a Helix sleep mattress. Did I mention you can take their two-minute sleep quiz and they will match you? I've talked about the positions that you can be in. On the mattress, missionary, doggy style, reverse cowgirl. Oh, come on. Will you stop it? So when you go to helixsleep.com slash JCE and take that quiz, get matched to the mattress, they bring it to your house. Though they don't bring it, they ship it. Every once in a while, you'll see an unmarked panel van put up, pull up to your front door, and they'll pull a mattress out. But if I were you, I wouldn't answer the door when they knock. Helix will be labeled. You'll see the the fine Helix label there, you'll know to open the door for those folks. Well, remember... They give you the, what now? I mean, there's no reason why you can't just have people leave it on your doorstep and you bring it in yourself. That's one of the great things about Helix mattress. It's not hard to move around, and then, of course, it all uncurls once you open it. That's one yes. of the miracles of Helix. It doesn't uncurl, it expands. Expands. And, and self-inflates. But I don't know about leaving it on your porch. It depends what neighborhood you live in. Up there, you got a problem with bears. You know, bears love these mattresses. As a matter of fact, every Helix Sleep mattress comes with a can of bear mace, just in case that the oh. bears wander too close trying to get a hold of the Helix Sleep mattress. They're popular with all forms of wildlife. It doesn't come with bear mace, for the record. Not all of them. They've got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free, and they will even pick it up for you if you don't love it. Of course, we've talked about the people that come and pick it up and the way that they'll treat you afterwards because you're a <laughs> no good prick Can you stop? It under false pretenses and now you want your money back. They will happily say, oh, you didn't like it. We'll give you your money back and pick it up without any physical violence or They sure will. They, they will do that. And then a couple days afterwards, when the heat dies down, you just be looking over your shoulder. But right now, folks, Helix is offering up oh. to $200. Off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. All you got to do, I've mentioned it, go to Helix. That's H-E-L-I-X, helixsleep.com slash J-C-E. And you're going to get up to $200 off and two free pillows, depending on what you purchase and whether you pay for it or not. They don't like you if you purchase something and don't pay for it. That's not cricket. Helixsleep.com slash J-C-E. Well, Jim, before we completely move on as much as we can from the Vince topic here this week, I wanted to ask you about a couple of tweets I saw. Did you see uh, any of the Twitter activity after the news broke about Vince McMahon? Oh, boy, howdy. Uh, people were jumping on, depending on what their side was, either for him or against him. But uh, what did you specifically see? Well, I have two here, different sides of the spectrum, or at least different ways of addressing this. Gerald Briscoe on Twitter Again, longtime WWE employee sold his share of Georgia 
to Vince McMahon and had a job for many, many years. Disappointed to see all you jabronis celebrating the retirement of the man who created a world that gave you so much enjoyment growing up. If Vince never existed, all you marks would have sadder lives than you already do. <laughs> That's Jerry for you. No, it, Gerald Briscoe likes Vince McMahon. They've worked together for 40 years. He's been very, Vince was very good to Jerry and vice versa. And a lot of the, I, you can take an opinion from somebody in the business, I guess, especially somebody that's had personal uh, interaction with Vince, either positive or negative. But to see a lot of the fans go, ah, yeah, it's time he's gone, blah, blah, blah. For somebody that's a friend of his, it's worked with him closely. I can see where Jerry would be a bit ticked off. Well, Jerry had a second tweet, a little more than an hour, actually one hour and one minute later. I guess he heard some blowback. To be clear, the <laughs> allegations of workplace misconduct are very serious and disappointing to me. I applaud the board for holding people accountable for their actions. <laughs> Who got to him? <laughs> I don't know. This is, what does Jerry care if people knock him on Twitter? So I don't know, but maybe that was a prepared statement from the WWE office. I'm not sure. Maybe he has stock. I don't know. But I did see um, the other CEO, the other guy. It, it, that's like the other white meat. Tony Khan is the pork of pro wrestling. Vince was the chicken. Tony is the pork. And he, do you have his tweet? Can you read it? I don't know if I can do justice to it without it using his exact words. I have it here right now. Tony Khan last night tweeted, Thanks to you wrestling fans and your great support of AEW, I'm grateful to now be the longest tenured CEO in pro wrestling. <laughs> Thank you very much to every single person who watches AEW on TV. See you Friday night for AEW Rampage on TNT Drama, 10 p.m., 9 p.m. Central, tonight! <sighs> So Vince plugs his show to the talent, and Tony plugs his show to the general public. <laughs> Interesting. Well, yeah, but in the meantime, Vince gives a tongue-in-cheek statement that was obviously written by one of his assistants, and Tony <laughs> writes his own and comes off like a 12-year-old kid, bragging that he won a one-horse race. There are no other CEOs in pro wrestling. Well, I, I don't know how... Some of these independent organizations are structured or set up, or if they even are set up, if there is paperwork with their various state uh, governments. But is there another I'm the CEO, CEO of Arcadian Vanguard. I'm longer tenured than Tony Khan. Well, yeah. You know, and, and also, but I mean, a, of a wrestling promotion. Is there I another CEO? Oh. Well, New Japan, do they have a CEO or just a president? I think he's the president. And Scott Demore is not the CEO of anything. And and there's the men's hair club. But again, Tony. Yeah. Old Cy, he's been around for a while. And he's and he's a customer too. But Tony can't help but being an adolescent kid about this shit. Of of all the things he could have said, that just comes off so stupid and childish. Yes, he's been the CEO of his own company. He started with his daddy's money three years ago. The same thing Vince did. 
Well, but at least he at bought least, the company with his daddy's money because he took the company profits to pay for it. Well, but at least he actually used some of the money that would technically go to him as the owner to pay for it rather than just, yeah, but the point is, I'm sorry, Tony, but when you can brag about being a CEO for 40 years or whatever, then that's, that's something to brag about. But just because the other guy quit running and there's nobody else in the race doesn't really make you goddamn a fucking superstar. Who was that guy that ran the four-minute mile, Roger Bannister? I don't think Tony's in that company yet. I think it's delusional. And maybe if he worried about trying to act more professionally instead of acting like one of his most ardent fans in the seats, he would have a, a little bit better public image than fucking Rick Moranis on goddamn meth. Is your problem, for the person that's going to argue Tony Khan was just making a joke, is your problem the joke or the fact that the CEO of AEW is making the joke? The CEO of AEW is making the joke. It's ridiculous. Can you see if the situation was reversed, Vince would even acknowledge the incident? He would dance on the grave of the Pri incident, actually. Privately, <laughs> but he wouldn't tweet about, ha, 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 Tony, Tony got sent to his room or whatever. No, it's just so stupid. It's the the owner of the company acting like the fans, and that's just stupid. But it looks like, as we'll talk about later on in the program, you know, his uh, his show looks like a fan fucking produced it. So there you go. But, but uh, again, no. Uh, positive or negative, whatever you think of Vince, Tony Khan needs to start acting like the boss of a national televised wrestling promotion instead of a fan booking from his basement but that would require him to change his entire life here's a question for you and i don't know the answer vince mcmahon owns i don't know the exact percentage of stock but 80 percent of the voting shares but he owns that and he's retired from wwe but vince mcmahon himself not wwe owns those shares you think vince would ever get to the point where he would try to buy the company back? No, I don't. Because honestly, I mean, it's not like if somebody outside get some investors to put up the money, get JP Morgan to put up a few billion dollars and try to get well, the company. But hold on. If somebody from outside had taken over somehow and not only ousted Vince, but Stephanie and triple H, then yeah, I bet you he would. But right now he'd be buying the company out from under his daughter and son-in-law, he knows he, he's 77. Even if he's got another 15, 20 years, whatever, they're pretty close to, as you've mentioned before, selling this thing for billions of dollars. So I don't know if he would want to rock that boat now because if they sell it for billions of dollars, billions of those dollars are going to go to him and however much more to his daughter and son-in-law. So. If all of them were gone, if somebody just taken it over and he didn't have any say anymore through his family and minions, yeah, I think he'd do everything, including, you know, knocking on the door of 1241 East Main Street in Stamford with a fucking billy club trying to take it back. 
They're about but, to move into their new buildings. He's not even going to go with them. Maybe. Well, I bet they'll have a Vince Memorial office on the fourth floor in the corner just so that, you know, and maybe it'll be a display like a Vince Museum. But anyway, but that that's the thing is I don't see him screwing that up for not only the kids, but also himself when they still stand to make a fortune whenever. And now, you know, now that he's not actively running it, is it more attractive to him that they go ahead and sell it? And and are Stephanie and Triple H going to necessarily argue at that point if they're going to get a, a ton of money out of it? I think that maybe they're thinking, well, we'll get this thing back in shape so the sale price will be higher. Let's get our talent in order. Let's, you know, get the proper people in place. Yeah, Fox is watching. Fox is watching. But I don't think they're going to start now trying to go into something like that that would take whoever knows how long and raise a lot of questions and muddy the water. You brought up before that Vince has been a commentator for a long time. And then, of course, in 1980, him and Linda start a company. And in 82, they buy Capital Wrestling. They pay installments. Vince and Linda, or Vince pays installments to the different owners other than his dad out of the company profits, and then he has full control. Well, let's go over that real quickly for a second. Just for some of the newer listeners, Vince agreed to buy Capital Wrestling, the old WWF from his father, Vince Sr., for, what was it, a million dollars? And he had to make quarterly payments, and if at any point he didn't make the payments or it wasn't paid off on the you know, the uh, appropriate time, it would revert back to his dad. But it was a promotion and a business that was already ongoing and having a hot period. And so he just stepped in and used the money off the towns that was already coming in to make the payments and never didn't have to actually spend any of his own money if he indeed had any at that time. And it was a cheap price, all things considered. Think about how much money that company was making in 81, 82. Yeah, they, well, they were they were grossing over a million dollars a year just in the garden. So, and he paid a million dollars to the partners for everything. Yeah. So it wasn't like it was a you know, it was a big risk. It wasn't you know, an iffy type of thing. The company was already running and had been running for decades. But the risk was going national, and then the big risk was putting up everything for WrestleMania. But actually, getting right. the company from his dad and the other partners. Savaldi, Gorilla Monsoon, Zacco, that was Skoland, I guess I should say also. That was the most easy business deal you could ever have. I'll, I'll walk into this restaurant that's already operating and turning people away at the door, and I'll just buy it with the money it's taking in. That's what he did at the uh, Cape Cod, what was it, the Cape Cod Coliseum or the whatever? The Cape Cod Coliseum. Remember, it was a Coliseum open and running and losing money. He just went in there and goes, okay, I'll pay for the mortgage payments. Let me run it. And they said, okay. He didn't put any money down. He just started paying monthly as he went for a place that had lost a lot of money. He did the same thing for WWE or WWF, but they hadn't lost a lot of money. They were making millions. Well, and that, 
What will Vince McMahon's legacy be is a, a question I've heard people saying or asking. And for good and for bad, because there's a lot of good, too. I mean, it's it's a weird thing. I know people don't want to hear that, especially now. But for all the bad changes, there were some good things that he brought to wrestling as well. Well, and it, it also depends on your point of view. And everybody knows what mine has been in the style of wrestling. And why couldn't... You know, uh, Bill Watts have won the war if if things had worked out differently. So, you know, the product wouldn't be... Can you imagine those yeah. articles in the Wall Street Journal right now? <laughs> <laughs> Watts would go to the Wall Street Journal offices and fucking take a dump in the goddamn boardroom or piss out the window. He, You know, but the thing is, for better or worse, depending on what your viewpoint is, Vince has been the man in wrestling for 40 years. Now, he did what none of the other promoters would do, and as a result of that, became the only guy doing that thing, and it stood out, and he was based in New York, and he knew how to market. But what he did killed the rest of the wrestling business forevermore. And it wasn't because... I've heard a lot of people say, well, once they'd seen the first-class production and the you know, all the bells and whistles. No. <sighs> Once you open the door and establish to everybody openly that wrestling was just entertainment, was fixed, fake, choreographed, worked, however you want to phrase it, then you've already started limiting the audience. And then it becomes, okay, who can do the, the fake show the best? And that was Vince because he was the only one that would make the move to do an obviously openly fake show. The other promoters made fortunes in their own areas, but they didn't want wrestling to be that big, to be publicly traded, to be on the, you know, the six o'clock news every night and on the cover of every magazine because that would have exposed the business, brought attention scrutiny everybody would have known especially in the modern era with social media what the fuck was going on they weren't going to do that because they wanted to keep their ability to make their money in their territory for the next 20 fucking years and a lot of people have said including some learned observers it never made any difference when they told people that wrestling was a work how the fuck do you figure that? There's now no, there's only two wrestling promotions. And until three years ago, there's only one of any size. It made a lot of difference. You limited your audience to the people who want to watch an obvious show and that are diehard enough fans of that to want to know everything about it and spend a lot of money per head on it and devote a significant portion of their life to it. You lost everybody else that used to watch one hour of TV a week and maybe get that fucking ticket for the show once a week or once a month in town, and that was the extent of their involvement. So when Vince did that, because that was his vision, he wanted to have showbiz wrestling, always. He wanted to be the Walt Disney of wrestling in 1986 then nobody else could do it because everybody else's wrestling was predicated on and depended on you 
losing yourself in the moment and the heat on the heels and the baby faces triumphant comeback and blah, blah, blah. And that wasn't there anymore because everybody saw through it and they, and they knew what the fuck was going on. It's just like when Vince was brilliant in establishing the network and moving everything, including the pay-per-views over to the network, it cost them a fortune until they ended up making hundreds of millions of dollars from Peacock. But what it did also was put every other wrestling promotion out of the fucking pay-per-view business, except for the ones that are going to get a hundred or 200,000 buys for AEW or TNA never even did that much because why pay $50 for a show when you can get everything ever put on tape for $5 a month? Everything that Vince did to change the wrestling business to his vision of it was mostly successful. And there's guys he's paid millions and millions of dollars to and people in far flung parts of the world know about wrestling. Unfortunately, it's just the WWE version of wrestling. But Vince made a company that is now worth somewhere around $5 billion. And not all of it was honest, but find me a company that's worth $5 billion that was even as honest as Vince has been, probably. So you can't argue the success and the stars that he made and the money that he made and that he paid people and the the vision or not the the visibility of those people that went into movies and the visibility of the business etc has never been in question we've always said he he ran the best business he found the best people he didn't do a TNA Dixie Carter and hire a bunch of fucking people fresh out of college that didn't know shit from apple butter and couldn't grab their ass with both hands. He didn't do the Jim Crockett and keep his same office staff and same number of them in a fucking converted convenience store when he was on national TV. He didn't do a lot, didn't make a lot of the mistakes that the other people made. The only thing that most wrestling aficionados, especially of the as the years have gone on, that had a problem with was the fake, phony, silly, goofy sports entertainment, which killed the wrestling business. Because, again, you couldn't do sports entertainment better than Vince because that was his vision and everybody else tried. And he got there first and he knew that. But you couldn't do real wrestling anymore because the biggest promotion is telling everybody it's all fake. So he simultaneously built his own company and doomed everybody else to irrelevancy. And I think that's his legacy. To some people, he was very, very good. And to some people, he was very, very bad. He was more successful than anybody else in wrestling at what he did but unfortunately, that led to the ruination of every other wrestling promotion because you can't you can't have people taking something seriously when the leader is doing a parody. And there you have. I think there's more to it, though, because I think part of the problem was there was no one prepared to fight him. So here he is presenting this parody, as you put it. And I mean, go look at TNT. I mean, now people could laugh at it and appreciate the camp nature of it. but compared to everything else in wrestling before or at that time. 
compared to everything else on television, guys in the business wanted to fucking fight and punch walls when they were watching that. Because there's guys going out trying to fucking cut their heads and break their bodies and fucking get heat and sell tickets. And it's a on national cable is a clown show with some of wrestling's biggest names. It was fucking insulting. I think, you know, because I'm one of those believers that's out there that most people are told, because I was early on, a lot of other people, I've heard Jerry Jarrett say it, we're told early on that it's fake, and we just got to live with it, and we got to lose ourselves in it. The problem became everyone started chasing Vince in one way or another, whether it was creating networks for your shows that you couldn't support or changing the style of your wrestling. I mean, Jim Hurd was just trying to be yeah. His version of Vince McMahon. The ding-dongs were for the kids, like the gobbledygooker. Yeah, Big Josh was for the kids. I mean, even though he's a kick-ass wrestler, he's coming out with a fucking bear. That's not for an adult to jump up and down. Everyone started chasing Vince. Everyone started chasing his production. And I think one of the big things, actually, when you talk about the cartoonish nature of various things, the way it hurt wrestling was the people who got into wrestling grew up watching that. Yeah. And then they think that's what wrestling is. And when people go, no, 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 just a few years before it, things happened that made sense and people paid to see that. It's like, no, no, but I saw, you know, and then they named some goofy thing that they got a kick out of when they were six. And that, that kind of makes my point because of mismanagement in, in WCW from the start, his only competition, and the dearth of the territories to make new talent, even Vince in the mid-90s went in a fucking hole, and then they hot-shotted everything, both companies, and then by the time that was over and Vince won, everybody'd run out of shit to do, and, and all the fans had seen everything, and the one person they had faith in, Steve Austin, then then they didn't because he switched heel and then their options were gone. It was WWF or nothing. And the business never really recovered from that. And it hurt but like you too. said, it hurt Vince too. Yeah, it hurt. It hurt Vince a lot. But like you said, now the people that have gotten into wrestling grew up watching either WWF or the indies that were trying to take the place of you know, what we had lost. And so then you have people getting a kick out of shit and wanting to emulate untrained goofiness because they think that's what wrestling was. So again, Vince, for the people that were on his side and on his team and shared his vision, they were more successful and he led them to more riches and notoriety than they would have ever had before ever or since in their life. And for the people who like the wrestling business and I'm, I'm on both those sides. He's paid me a ton of fucking money, but then again, I fucking loved wrestling and I hate that we don't have it anymore. And it's mostly directly because of events. So I qualify for both parts so I can see both sides. And, you know, we have to also say that it wasn't necessarily always a fair fight. Now, certainly Vince had a better operation. He had an operation. He had a staff. He had an office. Yeah. He had serious executives and people who may not have cared about wrestling as much as they cared about making sure the marketing and the promotion of this product is okay. He had the right people. 
That doesn't mean he didn't do predatory things. He tried oh, no. to screw with everyone. It was never a fair fight. It was never, all right, me against Crockett on pay-per-view. Let's see who the best man will win. No, it was, I'm going to do everything I can to prevent them from getting on pay-per-view. <laughs> I'm going to threaten people with WrestleMania. It was one thing after another. He tried to mess with every promoter, and eventually there weren't any promoters, and eventually there weren't any promotions, and eventually he couldn't find good talent. But he was someone who definitely, because later on he pretended he was Mr. Good Guy with the Ted Turner thing, the manufactured Ted Turner feud in his head. <laughs> but look at the way he went after every territory and every promotion, and you were in Crockett Promotions, you saw what happened. Yeah. So it wasn't a fair fight. It wasn't like, and he, he probably would have won anyway, just based on everything I said. He had the operation, he had Hogan, right time, right place, the cartoon. But he still went after promotions and did everything he could to hurt them. Well, yeah, and, and just when you say he would have won, he probably would have. Once again, he had Hogan, he had New York, and he had that office infrastructure. But Crockett would have still been in business providing an alternative product if, he ha if Vince had not sabotaged Crockett's efforts to get on pay-per-view. Because at that time, the money that Crockett would have grossed on pay-per-view would have more than paid off the debts that he had when he had to sell to TBS. I mean, just a couple of pay-per-views. That would have been it. It would have been fine. And Crockett would continued on, but he overextended himself buying the television time slots and the promotions and the extra added expense of getting an office in Dallas and a blah, blah, blah. And all of that was in response to Vince. Bill Watts's yep. package of TV shows outside of the Mid-South area, the expansion to become the UWF was in response to Vince, and then he couldn't support that. And then they had to sell to Crockett, and he couldn't support that. Yeah. And But like I said, the pay-per-view, if, if Starcade 87 and Bunkhouse Stampede 88 had gotten on full pay-per-view coverage, they would have made the revenue they were in the hole when they had to sell. But then it took Turner Broadcasting getting involved where, what, the 88 bash was the first time we were actually on pay-per-view full coverage, and Vince had almost a two-year head start by that point. So, you know, that that's the thing. Is uh, it, But it's not like that those tactics were unusual in professional wrestling, just there had been no pay-per-view. But, I mean, it, it goes back to the old days of sending people out on the street to tear the opposition's posters down. It's the same flavor. It just changes with the times. But that's Vince's legacy. He's Satan and, and Jesus both at the same time, depending on who you were and which side of the argument you were on. And in some cases, he can be both, because you could be on both sides of the fucking fence at various points. You think he'll go into the WWE Hall of Fame? Uh, well, eh, now you've got me scared about the stories of him and the Dalmatian on Broadway coming out. Who knows what? But And then there's also Vince's thing was he never wanted to be thanked at the Hall of Fame. Every producer had to tell every speechmaker, speechifier, whether they were inducting or being inducted or indicted or whatever, don't thank Vince. He hates that. So it might be against his will, but will that be a PR move at any point that, that they don't want to take? With that said, does the opening of SmackDown make a little more sense? That Vince doesn't want to be thanked. He doesn't like that kind of attention. 
Well, no, <laughs> because in this case, it wasn't going to be, or it shouldn't have been, Stephanie out there going, so I'm going to lead you in a chant of thank you, Vince. They got that organically, and they would have known that that was going to come up as soon as they mentioned the buzzword of, you know, we want to thank all you fans. And they knew immediately they were going to say thank you, Vince. If she didn't, she's insane. So, no, that wasn't they're trying to get it over with uh, like that. That uh, No. Again, they were trying to get the news out and get it over with rather than sincerely, you know, caring what Vince's feelings apparently were at that point in time or elsewise they would have, she would have done it in a more heartfelt fashion. But I don't think Vince said, I know I've announced I'm retiring, but don't let them chant, thank you, Vince. He, from the fans, he's fine. He didn't want the boys constantly groveling in public. Well, very interesting. We'll see how this changes things in a number of ways, from the on-air to the behind-the-scenes to the relationship certain talent, from The Undertaker to Brock Lesnar or whoever else have with the company. We're about to embark on a very interesting period for WWE and all of wrestling. This is going to affect wrestling. Will the word wrestling be used again on WWE TV? That... I can't wait to see if that happens or not. And we'll see how long Brock is, because just because he came back doesn't mean he might necessarily... Is there something with him and Triple H? Uh, who knows? But um, I don't know what his contract length is. Well, it's, instead of length, it's probably number of dates. But if, if he gets cranky with them and they can't bring Brock back for the big shows, ooh, they better hope that The Rock and Nick Khan and Nick Khan's sister, what, what's her name, uh, Anastasia? I forget what her name was. It Nanochka. wasn't that. Okay. Was it Nanachka? It may have been. There's a Nanachka Khan. Someone was named Nanachka Khan, but now I don't remember if it was her or someone else. I can't remember. It's some person in television. I think they're on Family Guy. But anyway. So we'll see what maybe they get the rock for WrestleMania through all of his childhood friends. Otherwise, they better keep Brock happy. Hey, we'll see how talent reacts to this. How many wrestlers gave up on the idea of going to WWE and went to AEW because they didn't want to get under Vince's control? They didn't want to do that kind of stuff. They wanted to work with their friends, of course. Well, also, let's be honest. How many guys went to AEW because they didn't have the option because Vince would have looked and gone... <laughs> But the guys who had the option, would they have thought differently of the move if it was Triple H on top as opposed to Vince McMahon? Even the guys who like Triple H, it was always Triple H, unless his father-in-law does something crazy, like sends him home. Well, the, uh, probably the guys from NXT might very well have stuck around. So we'll see. The, the Laurenitis effect. He runs off everybody except the lingerie models and the illegal paralegals. Do we have a regular show today? I guess we do. Hold on. What are we? What have we done so far? Let me just mention, by the way, the folks, the weather here in Louisville fucking sucks. Every day this week has been between 95 and 100 degrees. At one point, at one point this past Wednesday, 30 miles up the road, the heat index was 114 degrees with an 81 degree dew point. I didn't even know that was possible. You don't see that a lot. So there was literally water hanging in the air. And this is the week that they put up my drywall. So all the windows are open in the back rooms. There's a giant fan blowing. 
and they've been trying to drywall this this these two rooms for a week. They can't get it all to dry. I have wet wall. And now that that's finally all accomplished, this coming week, they're going to put my windows in. It's only rained one day in the last month here. And every day this week while they're putting the windows in, it's supposed to rain. So that's our weather report. And I would like to, again, thank everybody who participated at the JimCornette.com sale of the action figures, the ones for Australia and New Zealand, also the original figures, the limited amount that were put on sale. And I'll have you know that thanks, even though I've been delayed somewhat by the constructifying in the castle here, by the end of this week, and that sale was just last weekend, by the end of this week, everything will be in the mail. And also thanks to everybody who are availing themselves of the Acorny in the UK and the Live in London DVDs that have gone back on sale after a long hiatus. Those things are flying off the shelves. JimCornette.com. Get them while they're hot. And we have a Norman Weasel Dooley update, which I promised on the drive-thru this past week. That's your show, Brian. We promised it this, this past week, right? You have yes, I, I will. I will act. Like I, I guess so. It. Yes. Yes. Well, you can't. You can't keep track of these things. Well, you promised it. I didn't promise it. I didn't know if we would well, have an update. Well, I have an update. The update is there is no update. Um, <laughs> no, actually, there's there's an update. Uh, apparently, did you know that you can just look people up on the internet just willy nilly, and it gives you like their address and sometimes phone number and shit like that. Thank God that wasn't possible in the 80s. Half the fucking heels in the country would have been dead. But since we, when we talked about on the show, when we got the Weasels World newsletters and did a segment on those and talked about how that, you know, myself, none of Norman's old pen pals have heard from him in years and years, we got flooded with emails from amateur Clouseau's who had looked him up on the internet, and now some of them were wrong. One, Norman Dooley was 80 years old. That would not have been him. But uh, a lot of information started coming in, pointing to the same place, and finally, the, the, uh, the mystery was solved as to whether it was the right Norman Dooley by John Fell in Baltimore, who not only sent me his name, his age, I didn't know Norman's middle name. I do now. His age, his address, his phone number, and his high school picture. How the fuck did he do that? I'd never even seen Weasel's high school picture. So the point is, when I, and I got th three voicemails on my on my private phone from people I did not know. Apparently, they looked me up too to tell me where Weasel was. So the point is, the day after getting this information, which was about 48 hours ago, I called and left a voicemail at that number. And it was a generic, like automated robot voice, outgoing message with no names or no particulars, uh, you know, indicated. So I left the message. And as of this writing, as they say, I've not heard back. Now, we don't know. It could be that Weasel is an international playboy now and a man with 
vacation homes and he could be out of town. I don't know the situation. I've left a message and I will report back if we hear anything, but several people have, have sniffed around, but I can't find anybody that has actually spoken to the man himself uh, in, in quite some time. That's the update. Don't get on the bad side of John Fell. He'll track you down. How's your relationship with John, Brian? That's all right. I'm I'm good with him. Well, you better stay that way. I'll track He'll him down first. I'll track him down first. I'm a lot more dangerous than he is. He gave you his address. Well, it looks like it's going to be an easy job for me. Well, there you go. Why anyway. are you going to kill John Fell? Well, I, it just depends on what he's done to you. I don't know, but you need to stay on his good side. Because he'll find you. He needs to stay on my good side. I'll find him first. Well, not if he finds you last. See? See what uh, I did there? This is your show. Uh-huh. I, I got a letter. It's not even an email. From Greg, uh, Greg Fort in Des Moines. I'm going to use his whole name because he deserves it. Because he wrote a great letter, an actual letter that he then mailed. So he's a, an educated man. Um, he loves the ghost of Mr. Chicken. He loves things Mama Cornette used to say. He grew up in world-class wrestling territory down in McKinney, Texas. I, I, by the way, Greg, Whataburger, you asked my opinion on Whataburger. Whataburger is what a burger should be. I love Whataburgers. I love the fries. I love the fact they're open 24 hours and the, and the, uh, or the service is fast. So Whataburger... I don't like jalapenos, but otherwise, Whataburger is my place. And, uh, Brian, he mentions that his wife is north of St. Louis from there, and, and Emo's Pizza, definitely one of his favorites, their favorites. As far as your pizza taste or lack thereof, he said, uh, he's not really sold on it. But he was thanking me and Stacy and you, by extension, and the Cult of Cornette members for our Work recently raising money for NAMI, uh, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. That's a cause that he has been involved with. He worked for over three decades in higher education, but is now pursuing a second career in the nonprofit sector. And one of the foundations that he works with works with NAMI regularly. And what he did was, since we'd already done that fundraiser, Greg enclosed a check for $250 for the WHAS Crusade for Children and saying his wife and he don't have children but do support several youth organizations and wanted to give his support. And we appreciate Hold on here one second. Greg, for that. And one more thing, Brian. Greg went to graduate school at Mississippi State and lived in Starkville, Mississippi. So from now on, whenever you get a letter that's marked Greg from Starkville, ask that question on the drive-thru. Well, we'll see how that works out. But on that topic, you bring up Starkville, and people in the past have accused me of being Charlie from Starkville. There are actually people who think that Weasel Dooley is an alias of Jim Cornette. <laughs> have you seen any of this? No. What? There are people who think <laughs> that it's your alter ego. <laughs> So then I hired somebody 
to stand next to me and go to those matches and go to the 1980 WFIA convention and do the other things that that we say was it was a hired stand in. Hey, listen, I saw those photos that Howard Baum posted, Howard Baum Hardway Art, and Weasel Dooley. It was either a single white female kind of copy of your look, or he could have been your stunt double. What? Was he the same height as you? How tall was he? Weasel was about my height, but he he was blonde headed and very thin. He looked brown headed and thinnish. He, well, it was light. I mean, it wasn't platinum blonde. It wasn't like goddamn, you know, Ray Stevens or whatever. But it was light hair. He was very thin. It didn't resemble me facially. I'll have you know, I'm not knocking him. Glasses. A lot of people wear glasses. The classic Jim Cornette photographer outfit. You know, you mentioned that. You saw, I saw a picture of Weasley dressed just like you did back then. I said it was 1979. Everybody dressed like that. For heaven's sake. Trying to accuse me of having a secret identity. Are you deflecting from me talking about your secret identity? I was about to say. I'll have you know that my secret identity is not Weasel Dooley. <laughs> Who is it? I'm not going to tell you. That's why it's a secret. <laughs> For heaven's sake, who just comes out and tells their secret identity? Let's be honest, though. That would be the greatest story ever. Maybe better than Vince retiring. It turns out the creator of the star system, Weasel Dooley, was a concoction of Jim Cornette. <laughs> All these years later, Weasel World was really written by Jim Cornette. But wait a minute. In that case, it wouldn't be cat fishing. It would be cat weaseling. Ah, cat weasel. Cat weasel. For all you folks across the pond, look that one up from about 50 years ago. Every 70-year-old Englishman is now bent over slapping his knee at that that uh, funny remark. He would have been such a star in AEW. I'll agree with that. He certainly would have. Speaking of which, we're going to talk about AEW later on in the program and also... The main event today will be the review of the Ring of Honor pay-per-view, Death Before Dishonor, where we actually get to see a great tag team match. Can't see them on TV these days, folks, but you can see them on pay-per-view, and that's going to be the Briscoes and FTR to the rematch. But um, should we talk a little more about what was what else was on SmackDown just real briefly no. since I was there? No, I don't think so. I don't think anyone... No, I don't think we should. No. Well, hold on. Okay, Pat McAfee's good. You like Pat McAfee on commentary? No, um, when he fights. Oh, <laughs> I mean, he was fighting? Well, I mean, he fought, he, Baron Von Corbin attacked him, and Pat made a big comeback, and they went to the back and had a big fight, and agents separated him. It wasn't too much. It wasn't too long. It was good stuff. But I like McAfee. Yeah, I'm looking through these notes. Yeah, I'm looking through these notes. I saw the opening segment because it came out of the Stephanie announcement, the Street Profits and the Usos and Theory again being made to look like a punk on every show, it seems like. Yeah, the last 30 minutes of the show was the Usos and Theory against the Private Profits and Moss, and the whole deal was Heyman had advised the Usos to win the match with Theory as a partner and then turn on him and leave him laying. But, of course, Theory was too smart for that. and. He tried to walk out on the Usos, but the Usos ended up super kicking him. And then, basically, uh, Theory got disqualified for hitting Moss with the briefcase and then hit him about 10 more times with it. 
and was about to leave when Cowboy Brock came out and the tag teams disappeared and Moss disappeared and Brock beat up Theory. <laughs> so that's what happened to The Rock every week when they were pushing him at, at the start. He would get disqualified, beat up a guy with a briefcase, and then somebody would come out and leave him laying. That's how they got Rock over. So, yeah, you're right. Let's not talk about SmackDown. You know, I said it to you the other day. I think it was a week ago for SmackDown. I said, man, they really, for some reason, are making Theory look like shit. And you're like, what do you mean? And I said, well, they, you know, treat him like a jerk off, and then they kick his ass, and that's how it ends. And then they did it on that show. They did it on Raw, and they did it again here. You shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> I, but, I, you know, Theory is a prodigy. Theory is a guy who, if he was developed properly, in three or four years, we would be saying this guy is the best worker in the business. But at the same time, he's he can't go around the world to different territories and different places and wrestle guys of different styles and expand that way. And he can't leave and go to another territory if they misuse him so the people will forget about it and he can come back in and start a proper push over again because he's stuck there because everybody's under contract. You're not allowed to leave until you're completely worthless. So I'm wondering now, maybe a creative change will do a young guy like that good because that's Triple H wants to push the young guys. And if you are an ex-wrestler who places a premium on guys looking like athletes and being able to work in the ring. I'm not talking about doing goofy moves and gymnastics. I'm talking about being able to work and perform. Then theory would be one of your main concerns. So that sounds like I just described Triple H. So maybe he'll he'll make a difference. But right now, theory will be the best worker in the business in four or five years. I don't know whether theory will be one of the top stars anymore. Well, remember, I think it was Triple H that signed him to NXT. Well, good. Then hopefully, um, throw out the lifeline. Throw out the <laughs> lifeline. Yeah, because if not, honestly, I'm afraid that Theory might have to find a new line of work. You know, one of the big businesses now that was thriving, of course, until the gas prices went up, was, was being an Uber driver. Did you hear about this? You can just, instead of having a cab and a license and liability insurance and all that stuff, you can just drive around town and start picking people up and carrying them places. Have you heard about this thing? It's amazing. Have I heard about Uber? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard about Uber. Yeah, and well, it's Uber amazing. Eats. Yeah. Well, but now the problem becomes with the gas prices the Uber folks are trying to bail out on this thing. And that's because they're not keeping their car, Brian, in the proper condition. If you keep your car in the proper condition, you keep the maintenance done, your gas mileage is lower, you can afford to drive around town and take people their bags of Taco Bell and pick up their fucking pet from the groomers. And or take drunks wherever drunks need to go. Scotch guard your back seat first, folks, if you're thinking about doing that. But... If you want scotch guarding for your seats, I bet they got it at rockauto.com because they got seats and they got upholstery and they got carpet and they've got every other part. <laughs> Do they have scotch? They, huh? Do they have scotch? 
Well, either that or whiskey. They've got every other part or piece that your truck or car or whatever you ride around in or charge money to carry people around in will ever need because rockauto.com is not a brick and mortar store. No, 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 no. It is entirely made of glass and Elmer's glue and it sits on a beautiful South Pacific Island with one piece, one example of every car and truck part that's ever been manufactured right there waiting to go in the mail to your hungry little hands. Folks, if you need a, a, a Framistat for a 1929 Chevelle, they've got it. And you don't have to spend up twice as much for the same parts because their prices are always reliably low. And if you know how to put these parts on your car or truck, well, then you're ahead of the game because I ordered 17 fucking parts from rockauto.com for Black Beauty last week, and I could only figure out how to put 15 of them on. And the last three took super glue to get them to stay. So. What? Well, I'm t- it's hard putting all these parts on your car or truck, but I want to support our sponsors, so I keep buying them. God damn, you ought to see the looks I'm getting when I'm driving down the road, especially with that fucking margarita mixer stuck on the fucking front hood like an ornament. What? Anyway, rockauto.com is a family business. You know what happens with these family businesses? It's it's like a family. They'll make you an offer you can't refuse. Oh, come on. That's all But they've been They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. What have they been serving them? Well, depends. What is your drink of choice? What would you like to eat? You show up at rockauto.com's location, they'll buy you lunch. But more importantly, their catalog is unique and easy to navigate. So you can pick the parts available and choose the brand specifications and prices you prefer. Who else lets you pick the prices you prefer? I prefer free, but they didn't see eye to eye with me on that. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And be sure to write JCE in the how did you hear about us box. We don't know what that does, but it means a lot to them. All the parts (laughs) your car will ever need. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. Rockauto.com. Well, before we rock on to AEW from the WWE, they do have a pay-per-view this coming weekend. I've heard tell about it. There's been rumors. And uh, do we know what the card is? Have we paid close enough attention to this fucking boring, blasé telecast that we even know what's happening besides supposedly Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns? Off the top of my head, I would have thought no, but looking at the lineup, it all makes sense. Yeah. It all makes sense now. It all makes sense now, but I had no idea what the lineup was before. What is the lineup? Let's let's pick our favorites for SummerSlam next weekend. Okay, one of the matches on the big card for SummerSlam in Nashville is Logan Paul versus The Miz. Hoo boy. Well, we saw um, a segment with them also the other day. And was that the one where they ran out of time or or they didn't run out of time, but they ended early that Miz TV thing. I think it was on raw and they had to jump in and do a quick impromptu interview because they only had 10 minutes and still couldn't fill it up. 
Um, Logan Paul, people know who he is. We've asked whether the that audience will translate to wrestling, or is it just the people that are already watching wrestling? Some of them know who he is. He looked pretty good at what was it WrestleMania for a you know he's athletic, and he took it fairly seriously, but um, still the Miz and. You know, unfortunately, uh, the I guess that's one of the things we have to look forward to is just see what's going to happen in another celebrity match. But there you have it. Jim, in another match for the WWE Raw Women's Championship, the champion Bianca Belair defends against Becky Lynch. This will probably actually be pretty good. I have a new appreciation for Bianca Belair, especially since I've seen more of the AEW girls roster. And Becky Lynch is a star and a personality, and people will probably be interested in this. So um, is this the girls' match on the card? The girls' match? The single Uno girls' match? I'll, I'll very much enjoy that. Or is there three more to water it down? Well, no, there is one other women's match. I'll go to that right now. For the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship, the champion... Wait a minute, I thought the other one was for the title. That's for the Raw Women's Championship. Oh, of course. Well, there, there, of course, is the perfect way not to confuse anybody. Have two matches on the same card for two championships that people really don't understand the difference in. Well, the SmackDown Women's Champion, Liv Morgan, defends her belt against Ronda Rousey. Good Lord, that was another thing on SmackDown. Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey, Friday night, had a backstage, face-to-face venting session where they told each other what they were thinking about this match, and it was the most fake, phony, scripted, emotionless, monotonistic delivery of shit that I've ever seen. So... Besides the fact that does anybody in their right mind think that little Liv Morgan could really compete with Ronda fucking Rousey? But even if they do, if they saw that interview, they know that both these girls would rather be anywhere else than apparently what they're doing because there was a complete dearth of emotion in anything they said. So, and also we've seen, we just watched Liv Morgan try to work with Natalia, and it was the shits. So Ronda Rousey's had now, what, 39 matches? So how's that going to go? In a match that may be the best match on the show on paper, Seth freaking Rollins, or Seth Scatman Rollins, against Riddle. Has it come to this that that is going to be the best match on the card? I think is that where we're at potential. at this point? I think it has the potential to be, yeah. And will the presentation of Riddle change now that Vince McMahon's not there? Will various animals off of Noah's Ark continue to fly out of Riddle's ass? All these questions. Yeah, I guess it'll be athletic. If you like Riddle, then boy howdy, I guess this is for you. Also on the card... In a tag team match for the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship, with Jeff Jarrett as the special referee, the Usos, the tag team champions, defend against the Street Profits. Oh boy, after the six-man on SmackDown last week, and the tag match the week, or the single match the week before, and the, it's like these, 
These guys have wrestled each other already more times than Bobo Brazil and the Sheik, and we haven't cared about the first one. I've, again, the Usos aren't horrible. They're not a great tag team. They work as Roman Reigns' flunky slash backups, but not as tag team champions at the same time whenever Roman Reigns' single opponent beats the fuck out of both of them to hype the title match. Um, the private profits or street party or whatever the case, they're both very athletic and they're both very green. Um, Jeff Jarrett is the referee because it's his hometown and everybody in Nashville knows who Jeff Jarrett is, but otherwise they did nothing to, they did something to establish that there should be a special referee in terms of they knocked the referee out the one time and it blah, 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 and they've lost control with the regular referees. But there, it seems like since Jeff works for the company, they didn't have to fly him in from Japan for one shot or from Australia or wherever. Couldn't they have done an angle on television to make it make sense that he is the special referee? He did a promo on SmackDown about being the referee, and it wasn't a bad promo, but it was the same... He was just doing a promo about being the referee. No reason why it's him. So, I, yeah, I think they're just doing that because he'll help promote the show and they still have seats in the stadium that they need to fill up. Yeah, I don't know how many people he's drawing to the show in Nashville, but also well, on I mean, the card. Well, I mean, if, if he's involved. Obviously, he's the vice president of live events right he's involved in the i'm talking the actual promotion i'm okay, not just saying okay stick jeff jarrett's name on the card you're going to sell five thousand extra tickets because he's a referee i'm saying he's involved in the actual promotion and that is jeff's strong point so that's why he's involved in the show but it would have been a nice to see something happen on television that would make it important that that specific person is a special referee not just there's a special referee for the united states championship the champion bobby lashley defends against theory well again hopefully i like bobby lashley and he's very close to the level of brock and roman at least he was at one point with MVP in his corner and when he was a heel and had a winning streak going on and had a entourage of guys and suits with him. Then they made him a smiling baby face. The people still like him. He's still a beast. But he needs to do this job. And I don't know why that they put the thing on him to begin with when Theory had it. They're supposed to be pushing this kid. So... I don't necessarily want to see Bobby Lashley lose a major high-profile match on a big pay-per-view, but he has to in this case because they don't need to beat Theory anymore. And this whole thing about he's going to win his title back and then, you know, go cash the briefcase in on whichever Brock or Roman is incapacitated and has the title at the end after their big war... And I'm afraid what's going to happen is they'll say, oh, well, that's, that's enough that he gets to do something in the main event and we'll go ahead and just beat him in the title match and give him a little out or whatever. But uh, uh. A few more matches, Jim. Pat McAfee goes up against Happy Corbin. You know, I'm, this might not be bad because old fucking McAfee even made me interested for 
90 seconds in Baron Von Corbin the other night. Because Corbin and he are apparently a longtime friends, so they'll be a little stiff with each other. And McAfee has got not only physical oomph, but also the ability to talk and sell this shit. And Happy is not being happy as much as he's starting to be a heel now the last week or two. So this might not be bad. I'm looking forward to seeing what McAfee pulls out because he was outstanding when we saw him in the ring before. He takes this seriously. We talked about he trained. He actually, on on purpose, put a ring in a barn in his place up in Indianapolis and had Rip Rogers come up and give him personal training. So he was serious about the wrestling business. So I'll look forward to that. And then finally, Jim, in the main event, as of this moment, last man standing match for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns, the champion with Paul Heyman versus Brock Lesnar. See, this one's tough. Um, and I'm even take into account any strife that may or may not be going on with Brock you know, uh, business-wise, I, I don't see... You can't beat Brock again in a last-man-standing match without taking some of the oomph off of him, unless they've got a brilliant finish, and it's not one that the fans will see through as just trying to give Brock an out. But we've been down this road before. We've seen this movie, Right. And unfortunately, it's the only two guys they've got that can draw money on top right now. But are they going to diminish one of those? They have to have a winner. Last man standing. You can't do something screwy. Do they put the belt on Brock? And Brock, even in the best circumstances, only works a few times a year. Or do they beat Brock, keep the belt on Roman Reigns, which is... Obviously, I think the, probably the call that Vince would have made because of his giant push of Roman, then how do they get out of that without taking some of the shine off of Brock? And this is the, they've painted themselves into the middle of a silo. And they can't, I don't, I don't know where you'd go from here. And I'm not justifying it, but does this make uh, the theory, theory, make a little more sense? The idea that, if you're losing Roman Reigns after this, for the most part, and we don't know what Brock's schedule is after this, but we know Vince is gone, and that was his relationship, the idea of them having a killer match and then Theory coming in and cashing in, does it make a little more sense considering all those factors? Well, I've said before a couple weeks ago, involving Theory in this and the mystery of cashing in the case adds interest to a match that people have seen before, Brock and Roman, or what's going to happen there. But with what they've done with Theory leading up to this, if he were to cash the case, you know, cashing the case in for a heel when a champion is downed, and it would make more sense if it was Brock than to do it to Roman, because then Theory's kind of turning babyface, etc. But he has to be able to, if you want the guy taken seriously and don't want to peg him forevermore as an underneath comedy guy who just fluke wins shit and can't really hang with the top guys realistically, then you've damaged his image for 
a few years to come. So if he beats Lashley on a heel fuck and is the U.S. champion coming in and then cashes in and wins the thing, then you've, you've, you've kind of elevated somebody. But if he gets beat in the U.S. title match and then comes in and cashes in against a, it's, then it's the same thing as a, who was that guy with no fucking chin? James Elworth. It's like if James Elworth did it. Yeah, you're putting him in the spotlight, but it's as, as a fluke winner, a guy to laugh at instead of somebody that, that actually can be a force and was smart enough to pick his fucking right spot. So you can either make a new top-level champion in one night and then continue that push from there, or you can make him the comedy fluke winner, and that's what you're going to be stuck with from there because that's the way people are going to take it. All right, well, that's the way people will take it on this night because that is SummerSlam 2022. Yeah, it will be. All right, let's talk about AEW from July 20th. Get that out of the way, and then we can get to... They put their best talent and their best matches on the pay-per-views for the secondary company they own that doesn't really exist. So we're going to do that last. We'll get through the national cable television show with almost, not quite, a million viewers that they shit the bed on here very briefly. And... um I didn't take a lot of notes on some of these matches, but we'll try to get through this thing. Darby Allen versus Brody King was the opening contest, and little did we know this would be the best thing that they did all night, because everything else went down the hill from here. Did you see the Meltzer Fears Mama Cornette sign in neon green at the start of the match? Thank you to whoever you are. She would have loved that. And, of course, it's Darby Allen, it's Brody King of the House of the, the Black Folks. So they ring the bell, they immediately go to the floor and have a fight. Then they get back in the ring and Darby gets wiped out. And from there on, <laughs> Brody King just beats the piss out of him. Lays the chops in, lays the blows, it ragdolled him like a sack of shit. Treated him like a dog toy out on the floor, throwing him into the rails and etc. And this was actually, it's entertaining to watch a big beast like that throw some little guy around. But then they went through the break. And they come back on the other side of the break, and it's still going on. And finally, this wasn't even a comeback because Brody stopped him again. But at one point... Darby Allen rolls out on the floor, reaches under the ring, gets his belt. And I'm not talking about a championship belt. I'm talking about a belt that holds your pants up. And when Brody King comes over to get him, he throws that belt around Brody King's legs and trips him and pulls him out on the floor and hog ties him all in front of the referee. There was no disqualification called. How can... I understand if you come up with a cute spot, right? That you think, oh, this would be cute. People would pop on this. But if it, if you're writing a song and you come up with a great lyric, but it doesn't fit the song, you save it and do it later, right? 
If you're writing a book and you realize in the middle of this book, boy, I got another story here. I'll do that later when it fits. But no, and then at that point, Brody King shuts him down, gives him more abuse. Then Brody misses a flip into the turnbuckle and immediately Darby Allen's 100% again. And this is the way it went on for a couple minutes. Every time that Brody King would miss something, even though Darby Allen had been beaten like a drum for the previous five minutes, he would suddenly jump up and start running fine, showing no effects, and then get shut down again and sell. And then it was a great spot you can only do with a 140-pound guy, but Brody King grabbed Darby Allen in a sleeper on the apron of the ring and hung him off the apron with his feet fucking hanging. And then finally, and this is, I was going to ask you, have we missed something? Is Darby Allen, does he have heat with somebody? Is somebody mad at him? Has he been accused of something? Because he's one of the guys, along with MJF and Wardlow, that had never been on television before, and to a lesser extent than them, because they've been featured in key shit, the people like Darby, because he's, I mean, you can tell, we know he's really a complete idiot. He does this shit to himself on purpose, doesn't give a fuck whether he hurts himself or not, jumps off bridges, blah, blah, blah. But he's got charisma, and people like him because he's a little underdog. So, after this manhandling, Brody King picks him up over his shoulder and drops him right on his head nearly with a spike power bomb one two three it looked great and i watched it and he did have brody king did have control of a 140 pound opponent but if he ever tries to do that to anybody else we're going to witness a tragedy so and so boom one two three and then he gets the sleeper on darby allen again after the match, Sting comes out, and they start to get in a fight, and Sting goes to give him the Scorpion Death Drop, and the lights go out. And when the lights come back on, Malachi Black is in the ring, and he and Sting are face-to-face, -face, but Brody King, who just got Scorpion Death Dropped, comes from behind Sting and grabs him in a sleeper. Brian, did you see what was the matter with this when he grabbed Sting in a sleeper, Brody King from behind, and Malachi Black in front of him? Blows the mist into Sting's face, barely. What was the matter with that? I don't know. Why the fuck wouldn't Brody King have gotten mist in his eyes, too? His head <laughs> was on top. It was a sleeper. Both their faces were right there. They couldn't figure ahead of time that the visual was, well, you've just blown mist in both these guys' faces, except you didn't really see any mist because he doesn't know how to blow the fucking mist at this point. But otherwise, the first half of that was okay to watch the the little fella get thrown around like he was bowling with midgets, and then it just dovetailed into bleh. What'd you think? I thought it went a little long, because it got uncomfortable yeah. for me after a while seeing Darby just get manhandled like this. Obviously, these two must be friends, the fact that he's allowing him to do this. I saw some other angle they did at an autograph signing where Darby got his ass kicked by Brody King. The pile driver at the end looked really stiff. Why didn't Sting give him the Scorpion Death Drop? 
Did he let him go when the lights went out? No, you heard the clump. Even the announcer said, well, wait, we heard the thump. Okay, I, you know, I didn't even notice yeah. it. Okay. Because they mistimed the blackout. I don't know why it's not a new thing. I don't know why Darby's been booked like this for a long time. I don't even know when it started, but he's a guy who got over on his own. They gave him Sting. And I feel like he's always booked horribly on TV. Well, and then I forgot the uh, the end of this segment. So the heels, Malachi Black and Brody King, have, have beaten up Darby. And then they missed Sting. And music plays. And out comes Miro. We haven't seen Miro in a while. Here comes Miro. Apparently now Miro, the guy who wants to evict God from his premises, is a babyface. And he's not going to be happy with the folks in the House of Black because he comes out and he and the heels stare at each other and they go to the break. So Darby and Sting, I guess, were taken to a medical facility because they were nowhere to be seen. And now all the attention is on Miro and old Malachi having a stare down. Uh, Starks and Hobbs were in the back talking to some new guy that can't talk. And it's going to be Starks versus that guy tonight. I had no idea who this guy was. They mentioned his name once at the top. I didn't want to rewind and take more of my time to find out. I'm going to go through the next match quickly. It was the Puddin' Gang with Pockets in their corner against Wheeler, Yuta, and Plummer Moxley. And so now the, is everybody in AEW a babyface? Because now here's more babyfaces fighting each other. And it was not lost on everybody last week, the Wardlow and Pockets match. Even the people who normally defend Tony and his bizarre booking methods we're like what the fuck is this and now what the so we want to see the babyface blackpool combat club beat up other babyfaces including the mascot who's allegedly popular the only good thing about this and by the way this thing went it must have been 20 minutes it was 15 easily the worst team in the entire promotion gets 15 or 20 minutes against the Blackpool Combat Club. And the only redeeming factor was, did you notice they're now making Muffin Top Taylor wear a singlet to cover up the Muffin Top? Because he had branched out in an, into an entire bakery. No, the only good thing about the match was the fans got silent in the middle of it. And that kind of sends the message, no one wanted to see this, and no one wants to see the best friends. Even the people that like the irony of Orange Cassidy, whatever you want to call it, They'd be fine with the best friends not being there. They add nothing to AEW. Well, next up, it's Shark Week, you know, Brian. It's Shark Shark the Shark Week or the Shark Show or what kind of that's not for TBS, isn't that for another of is that Discovery? Discovery, or something? same family. Okay, but the point is, so they have they go to the announce desk, and there is who was there at that point? It was Sockface and, and Taz. Taz and the shark mascot, the Shark Week mascot, a guy in a shark outfit. And with the guy in the shark outfit and Taz and Sockface there, 
the guy in the shark outfit was only the second stupidest looking person at the desk. But they had to get Shark Week mentioned, and then they had a swerve in our glory celebration. Because, of course, as we all know, the Hardly Boys, the Cucamonga Kids, instead of doing the right thing for business and having a pay-per-view match with FTR and dropping the rubber match and, and the final remaining set of belts to them for the good of the company because FTR is not only now the best in-ring tag team in wrestling, but also the most over one in AEW. Instead, they decided to swerve everybody, no pun intended, and put the belts on Swerve, Strickland, and Keith Lee to avoid doing a job to a team that everybody considers better than they are. And this celebration also included a cake at ringside. Now, oh, here we go. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with the cake business in a second. So Tony Schiavone is conducting the interview with Swerve and Keith, and they pointed out a guy named Kevin Gates at ringside. I said, will they identify him? And they did. He's a recording artist. Have you ever heard of him? I've heard of him, yes. Is he any good? You would not probably like that. Uh, I was wondering what he was doing there, if he was anybody important. Uh, so Swerve did a, a pretty good promo. He's well-spoken, but then ended kind of abruptly, just out of nowhere. And then Keith Lee took over, and I want to hear an album of Keith Lee's greatest mellow rock hits, because he's got the most melodic cadence and the most sing-song. He and Twinkle Toes could get together and just duet the shit out of, I don't know, Doris Day's greatest hits. K sera, sera, whoever we swerve, we swerve. So Keith Lee sang his promo, thanked the fans, and ended on a statement that I, did he just have a small stroke, or did he say a bunch of words I'm not familiar with quickly all in the same all at the same time. What the fuck did he say at the end of that? I don't recall what he said, so I don't remember. Do you remember hearing something that you didn't fucking understand? <laughs> I, do, I actually don't remember that, no. All right. <laughs> so anyway, then we knew it was going to happen. Here comes Mark Sterling and Tony Nese. So Mark Sterling is the fake comedy lawyer that has no heat whatsoever and is just put out there to be made a buffoon. And Tony Nese is the hottest free agent in wrestling that never wrestles on this program ever. And they come out and they basically are, are there as flunkies. So first of all, he insults the singer and the singer knocks Tony niece out with one punch. So the hot free agent wrestler just got knocked out by a fucking recording artist. And since Mark Sterling is the uh, the goddamn manager and there's a cake out there, then Mark Wrestling Logic, from people who just watch YouTube and don't understand, requires that that cake go in his face and Swerve hits Sterling in the face with cake. When you cake somebody that nobody cares about to begin with, then it's just a goddamn Nickelodeon fucking outtake. You fucking idiots. If you fucking put MJF's face in a cake, they would probably remember that years later and it would be on his highlight reel. 
because the people would fucking love it because they hate MJF's pomposity and want to see somebody get take, taken down a peg or two that they really dislike. Mark Sterling just got a dry cleaning bill. That's all that you got out of that. Booking is not just rehashing shit from the past that you've seen on tape. It's doing it with the right people and in a situation that looks like it emerges organically or elsewise you're doing a silent movie spoof. And here's another thing. People are going to say, Cornette, you got hit with cake after cake. You're absolutely right. And I not only fit the parameters that I just discussed, I was the fucking guy in a territory that had the most heat that they wanted to see humiliated the most, and that that did it, and that led to ticket sales, and that led to fucking business, and that led to us making money. But also, I didn't get hit but with one cake on national television. Because once you, like the old fucking vaudeville comics, once you got on TV and did your routine, everybody'd seen it. But in vaudeville, you could do it every night for years. I got hit with a cake in Georgia that people in Georgia saw. I got hit with a cake in goddamn, uh, in the TBS studio was on national TV. I got hit with a cake in Shreveport that the Mid-South Wrestling fans saw. But that doesn't mean that you can just hit the manager with a cake on TV every so often and it not get old like everything else. You have to remember who's seen it. It's also important to remember you got hit with a cake in 84. It led to the biggest run in the history of the territory. You got hit with a cake in 88. It led to a hot run with the Fantastics. Great matches. What did this lead to? What did this build to, or was it just a throwaway thing? And No, I know what it led to. The commercial. This whole episode, though, between this and Stokely Hathaway, who's a really talented talker, but has zero heat, just got shoved aside by someone. This whole episode was a problem with AEW and managers. You got to see they don't know how to use managers. Where's, where's, uh, where's Tully? Where's Vicky Guerrero? Ring of Honor, and I don't know. Where there's been a number of managers that have just kind of floated past. Okay, explain this one to me. What happened next? Christian Cage and Dino Douche in a tag team match against Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman, the Varsity Blondes. And obviously, last week it was that Dino just beat the piss out of old Griff and and squashed Brian Pillman a couple of times trying to beat up Griff. So now they've got a tag team match. And they did, th this was probably the most perfect thing I've seen on AEW television in months. They start the match. Dino does a couple of passable big man spots. Christian tells Dino to choke slam Pillman. Then he tells him to choke slam Griff. On top of Pillman, this time they did it safely, believe it or not. And then Christian comes in and covers Pillman, one, two, three, and steals the win that his big meat-headed enforcer had made possible for him. Perfect. It didn't take a couple minutes. It was the perfect time, perfect finish, perfect result for what they're doing. 
And then here comes Baltimore. And we've been wondering where Jungle Boy was and why he was allowing all these things to be said about him and he was getting no rebuttal and he was not making his presence known. So now you would think, well, here comes Jungle Boy, right? He's going to come tearing down there and he's going to light into that Christian cage and then Dino's going to stop him from behind and they're going to get some heat on him and then we're going to see Jungle Boy versus Dino and if he can beat that fucking giant monster, he'll get his hands on Christian Cage. We can sink our teeth into this. Jungle Boy comes out in ill-fitting street clothes, carrying a folding chair and walking like he's going to fucking get the mail. Just coming down. No fire. And Dino gets out of the ring to get in the aisle way to meet him. And Jungle Boy walks up to Dino. And Dino steps aside and lets Jungle Boy run into the ring after Christian Cage. Two weeks after he turned on him. One week after Dino started doing Christian's bidding. What the fuck? And Jungle Boy rolls into the fucking ring to get to chase Christian Cage down and get even with him. And when Christian bails out, Jungle Boy drops the chair that he brought, so that worked, and just chases him up the stairs out of the arena through the breezeway while Dino stands there and watches the whole thing. And off they went. What the fuck happened here? They had some, okay, Christian Cage. He's a heel. He's doing the best promos in the company. And he's got this giant monster with him that can be his enforcer and take care of his physical business. And it is the first time that we've ever had one goddamn good thing to say about that jacked up, tattooed imbecile that thinks he's a fucking dinosaur. And suddenly he's a player in the wrestling business for about a week. Until now, he changed his mind. He didn't mean to turn on Jungle Boy and align himself with Christian and fucking hurt all those people at Christian's behest, including 90 seconds previously. Instead, oh no, have at him. What the f- is- I don't know whether they're on drugs they don't need to be on or they're not on drugs they need to be on. But why can't any of this make sense from week to week? I don't think there are any drugs that deal with quality control. Christian has all of a sudden become a serious heel, delivering serious material, some real zingers, but in a serious way, comes across like a heel. And now we've seen him run away. This whole plan has been foiled. He looks like just another jerk off. I didn't like the way this was done. And. I was finally intrigued by Luchasaurus, and they turned him right back. And thank God, Jungle Boy had them cue his music to come out. I don't know what would have happened if the music hadn't played. Well, let's not jump too far ahead, as Stephanie said, because the music cue gets more ridiculous. The next match is an open challenge for the FTW title between Ricky Starks and the generic, bland-looking white boy from earlier who apparently is named Cole Carter. Carter with a K. 
And the announcers, as this thing started, were trying to talk, and I know Taz was there, so he should be, but the announcers were legitimately, including JR, trying to talk the FTW title up as a real belt, something that people win and lose and want to have, which is the polar opposite of not only what it actually is, but what it should be for the heat. They made their own belt. That's a classic heel move. And I'm not an ECW expert, but I seem to remember that they did that with Taz because somebody else held the ECW title and there had been some dispute over a match that they'd had and Taz declared himself the fuck the world champion. Have I summarized that briefly but succinctly? Yeah, it was a belt created for Taz and ECW. Yes. So Tony Khan being a mark for 90s wrestling. So let's bring the FTW title back. And Taz obviously had the belt because it was his belt. So that's not a problem. Use it for business. But the way you use it is it's not real. The heel is out there crowing that he's the FTW champion because the other, the whatever issue he had with the company, they won't give him a title match or his title match ended in confusion because the referee made the wrong mistake or whatever. So I'm a champion and I'm going to show y'all. And then he defends it, quote unquote, on his own, even though the company doesn't sanction it, blah, blah, blah. That's where the heat comes in. Now they're trying to act like this is a real title, which is the last thing they need to do because they've got the AEW title. They got the TBS title. They got the TNT title. They got the Ring of Honor title. They have the FTW title. They got the all Asian Pacific fucking Dead Sea title. I haven't even gone into tags yet. So anyway, Starks is great. Cole Carter is green and generic. Physically looks better than most of the AEW undercard guys. I guess he didn't come from the Indies because they all have the same look. And Ricky Starks won, which he should have. But then he gets on the microphone, Starks does, and says, I'm not going to let it end here. I'm going to keep the open challenge going. And even Taz says, I didn't know he was going to do this. Give me somebody else to wrestle. Within five seconds after Ricky Starks has the idea that he's going to continue and wrestle somebody else. The music plays. Talk about a music cue. It wasn't even five seconds. It, 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 the audio guy had his finger hovering over the button. And it's music and it's Danhausen. And Danhausen comes out doing the promo in his voice. And not only does he accept the challenge, but then Starks waffles and backs down well but, but, but i didn't mean right now uh maybe maybe next week suddenly you went from ricky starks having a match with a job guy to get over to danhausen coming out and the real wrestler being scared of him and it turns into a local indie comedy show on cable access with guys in funny outfits they can't even do something right and then not fuck it up before they go to the commercial. So 
I fast forwarded it until I saw somebody I liked. By the way, I'm not meaning to steamroller you. I'm just trying to get through this. No. Did you see anything I neglected? I wasn't very happy that that was who confronted Ricky Stark, so I'm incredibly high on. Him and Hobbs are great. But, you know, this is the problem since Punk and MJF have been gone and Brian Danielson. We've seen more of the things that some of the hardcore AEW fans like, but some of us are not real big fans of, like Orange Cassidy and Danhausen and just goofy stuff. The TV has changed since a lot of these guys have been gone. Not for the better. Not for the better. So I stopped fast-forwarding when we got to Tony Schiavone in the ring with FTR. And they're talking about the Briscoes, two out of three falls, the rematch. Tonight, as we speak. And Jim Ross compared FTR to the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express, Tully and Arn, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, and he's very apt in those comparisons. But what did everybody gloss over, Brian, about this interview and this announcement? What did everyone gloss over about the interview Dax did about his daughter? Well, yeah, but I'm going to get into the interview in a second, but just the announcement talking about this match, rematch two out of three falls with the Briscoes. I don't think they said Mark and Jay. I think they said the Briscoes. Are you going to say that Mark and Jay have not been mentioned or seen on TV before this? They announced a rematch of a match that was held on another program that was not ever recapped or clipped or highlighted on this television, nor have Mark and Jay Briscoe's faces or voices ever appeared on this television show. And they just went right by and assumed, and everybody knows when you assume you make an ass of you and me, they assume everybody watching would know who the Briscoe's are, even though they've never been on the show and never been seen on the program in any kind of tape or VTR or whatever. I think their names have might have been mentioned a time or two in relation to the first match with FTR. Now, luckily, AEW doesn't have anybody watching this program that doesn't know who all their people are because nobody would take that amount of time to do that out of their life except somebody that already loved this shit, which is the problem. If anybody accidentally was watching this show for the first time and all they've ever seen is WWE because they got fucking lives, kids, jobs, whatever. They're going, wait, rematch Briscoe. Who the fuck is that? Can we hear from them? Can we see them? Can we put a face to this name that we're hearing? So they're promoting a pay-per-view from a company that doesn't technically exist anymore on a television show and talking about people that are going to be on that pay-per-view that have never appeared on this television show. And we still want to see the match. <laughs> yeah, we still want to see the match. and It'll still get 100,000 buys, which is remarkable. And in this case, we know why Tony can't feature the Briscoes. There's nothing he can do. How in the world can you not show footage of, of something that happened in another company as a, 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 and to promote a fucking pay-per-view that's not going to happen on their air? The poor, What the fuck? At some point, you've got to say, hey, these goddamn guys apologized. You were pissed at them. Well, they've apologized multiple times. And besides that, they'll help our ratings. Have you not noticed? Our television show sucks a cock. It's a shits. It stinks. 
and we need talent. But anyway, speaking of talent, Cash started the promo. They're doing babyface promos now, and he did a good job of it. And his point was, we respect you, Briscoes, but you're not taking these from us. And then Dax got in. And I didn't know this story was real and that it happened to him, but he talked about an eight-year-old girl with a hole in her heart. And I'm not even going to try to do this justice. Go back and watch this promo. This was the not only the best FTR promo ever, this was the best three minutes of promo ever on AEW television. It would have been the best three minutes of promo possibly on WWE television in the last 10 years, maybe longer. It was real, and I got goosebumps, and the people listened to it, and they reacted in the right place. It was his eight-year-old daughter with a hole in her heart. And she's well now, and that got a round, a big round of applause. But she fought, and she persevered, and she overcame that. And the whole point of the promo, the go-home line was, Saturday night, Briscoes, I'm going to fight like an eight-year-old girl. I'm getting goosebumps now. That was brilliant. Not only amazing that he could say it that well, and especially, obviously, his daughter, he has to be emotional, and he was somewhat, it helped, but also the way to articulate that and bring it into applying it to wrestling was genius. That's the only thing I really, I, I, if somebody said, would you ever watch any of this television program again, even if people offered you money, I'd say no, but I will watch this promo over and over again for free and maybe even pay you. And if we had more shit like this in the business, it'd be better off. And I'd say how much. This was fantastic. I want to know, and if you haven't, I hope you get a chance to before we watch the pay-per-view tonight. Did you see the sit-down that was on YouTube and on Twitter? Or not Twitter. Yeah, it was on Twitter. FTR, the Briscoes, Caprice Coleman, and a bottle of tequila. I did not see that. You need to see that. That was, I saw it in between uh, last week's Dynamite and this week's Dynamite. And my first thought was, this is better than anything they had on Dynamite. Again, I understand Tony's hands are tied with the Briscoes, but you need to see this. This was great. Well, and and uh, I will look that up before tonight. And but anyway, but I could have ended the show right there and been happy. And no, I wish they could have too. Uh, but here comes Jane Cargill, Malcolm Bivens, and a, a baddie. I think it was Kira Hogan. Hogan. Yeah. yeah, she's all right. She's very small. And they had some guy with them. And apparently Layla Gray is injured. I mean, we need to do an updated injury list on these people. But because half the roster or more is down and out. But uh, they said Layla Gray is injured and Statlander is banned from ringside. And, of course, Jane mentioned that she's always that bitch. Why does she want to call herself a bitch? That used to be a derogatory She doesn't. Term. She doesn't want to call herself a bitch. She wants she's to call that herself bitch. that bitch. Well, 
Being that bitch is even worse than being a bitch. That bitch is even more bitchy than just your regular bitch. What about if if Marlo Thomas, instead of being that girl, could have been that bitch? <laughs> Sunshine, that bitch. <laughs> anyway, it's that bitch. And suddenly she's on the TV for you. I like to when she points it out. She's like, my family's in the audience and you know I'm that bitch. I'm like, what? <laughs> your kid's listening, lady. So this was Jane Cargill and Kiera Hogan against Willow Nightingale and Athena. And apparently the guy with Bivens is Jermaine Dupree. And he's somebody, apparently. Yeah, he's a big deal. Big time producer. Very successful. Who'd he ever beat up? He's never beat any up anyone, but he's a pretty big star and he's from Atlanta. So that's why they had him on the show. Okay. So this was started out as a training school girls tag team match where they tried to do a lot of stuff and some dangerous dives and poor Kiara Hogan. They kept trying to squish her because the bigger girls were just falling on her with all their body weight. And then suddenly Willow and Kiera disappeared and it was Jane and Athena and they got the people and they started doing some good shit and it wasn't bad and the people were really reacting to it and then the other two showed back up and then it went back to girls training school tag team match and I lost really interest in what the fuck was happening and Jane hit her finish one two three on Willow Nightingale. Well, there was also some action at ringside with the manager, and that was one of the things I wanted to hear what you thought about. I didn't even pay any attention. What the fuck did he do? <laughs> Why watch the match if you're not going to see that? Well, because, because I mean, what the fuck? I wasn't expecting to see anything that I would care to talk about in this, and, and I didn't, but what did I miss? You know, he's a heel manager. He goes out there and he does promos, and he could talk. Yes, we, we mentioned that. He's very glib, and he's, he's great. He could talk if he had anything to talk about. And a show to talk on. But he talks in a way to get people to pop for him, as opposed to getting people to not like him. And he's at ringside managing the heels. I forget who came to ringside. Maybe Statlander. Just comes and just kind of like pushes him aside. And he just doesn't fall down or anything. Just walks around. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? The other manager gets a cake in the face. He has no heat. No one cares. This manager, another heel manager. The other girl comes out, just shoves him away. He just walks around. No one knows what to do with managers there. Well, that's it. Again, I guess uh, Bivens or Stokely or whatever, he's better for Jane than Sterling was, but who wouldn't be? But they they can't. He came from NXT where he had no heat. And they put him with, you know, they've got to put, if you have a manager who's not with a top guy, figured into the finishes, figured into the fucking promos, etc. then you've just booked yourself an undercard manager that's never going to get over. A manager doesn't get over unless he's managing top talent. Then talent can get over because they're managed by a top manager, a la when they would put new guys in the AWA territory with Bobby Heenan, because he was already over. So then you put a heel with him, and it helps that heel. But Bobby Heenan got over by managing top guys, Blackjack Lanza, Blackjack Mulligan, the Valiant Brothers, Baron Von Raschke, Ernie Ladd. 
then, you know, he was already over by the time he got to work for Vern and went with Bachwinkle and Stevenson, etc. But no, it doesn't matter how good the guy can talk when he's with, you know, heels that are underneath or Jane doesn't know how to get a lick of heat. They pre- she's brand new to begin with, but they present present her as a star, but not a heel. She's not cheating to win. She's beating everybody. She calls herself a bitch. That's the heeliest thing she does. And normally heels would be calling other people bitches. So the manager is not going to have any heat. (sighs) You want to get to the main event that really didn't have any heat except with the boys in the locker room and anybody cares about the wrestling business? What a spectacle this is. And we've pointed out over the last several years about Chris Jericho, the way these feuds have gone where... Things that should finish the feud happen in the middle of the feud. Gimmick matches that make no sense happen. Jericho always comes out on top for no good reason. And this was kind of like the greatest hits of the worst of Chris Jericho all in one match. It only took 15 minutes, but this was 15 of the most embarrassing minutes that pro wrestling has ever seen. Because like you said, they got everything in this one. The match is called Barbed Wire Everywhere. And they had barbed wire around the ring. And they had barbed wire tables in the ring. And tables with barbed wire outside on the floor. And the microphone, the the public address microphone was wrapped in barbed wire. (laughs) And Jericho comes out with a barbed wire baseball bat. And they had barbed wire chairs. And what this proved basically was, you got Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho with all those implements and it takes 10 minutes to hurt anybody, they're both a bunch of pussies. What the fuck? This And this also, by the way, no DQ, lazy booking, no time limit, blah, blah, blah. And because it's Shark Week, Jericho's minions are going to be hung in a shark cage over the ring, so they're stealing another old wrestling stipulation that actually drew big money when it was done right. So they put Hager and Garcia and Daddy Mac Mac Daddy and Cool Hand Luke in the cage and raise them over the ring. And the first thing I'm thinking is, where's Sammy Guevara? And the announcer said, well, we haven't seen him since he got knocked off the top of the thing or whatever. Well, that's a reason why we'll probably see him in a few minutes. So Ruby Soho, Kingston's lifelong friend and soulmate, has not only the key, but the lifting mechanism to lift the shark cage up and down. So Kingston can get her his revenge for her while she keeps the, the other people at bay. Jericho comes out with that pain maker thing. It was cute in Japan, I guess. God almighty. And immediately they start. Jericho hits or Kingston hits Jericho with the barbed wire microphone. Jericho goes down, goes to his wrist, and guys, I'm not lying. Go watch the video. It's not like the Zapruder film. You don't have to analyze this. It's on high-definition television. Jericho goes down, pulls his blade from his wrist, and starts gigging on camera. So the director... Realizing this, cuts to a different camera shot so you can see it better. (laughs) 
I had a person who shall remain nameless who's been involved in the professional wrestling industry for a number of years contact me and say nobody knows how to fucking blade anymore and Jericho's embarrassing. And I have to agree with that. I can't believe Vince got in touch with you to say that. Well, he was mulling over his retirement. So now Jericho's bleeding and Kingston gets more barbed wire. They go to the floor and the, the ring bell was wrapped in barbed wire. Jericho hit Kingston with it. And uh, here came the sign in fluorescent green outlaw mud show. And boy, it was. And I'm not, I'm going to reference an article that our friends at PW insider did in a minute, but let me finish recapping. Um, so Jericho gave Kingston a Hurricane Rana off the top buckle into a barbed wire board as a break spot. And they go to the break. When they come back, it's a sloppy, phony-looking fight. And Kingston's back is all cut up from this ridiculousness. And they're on the apron, and they're teasing, taking a bump off the ring onto a barbed wire table. And then Kingston vertical suplexes Jericho off the apron and both go through the barbed wire, and I wrote, this is so embarrassing. Jericho used to be a star. Then here comes Ty Conti to ringside. And old TC gets on Ruby Soho. And then here comes old Anna Jay, who, as we will call, will, will recall, was friends with old Ty until a couple weeks ago when they turned on each other, had some issue. And then... Anna Jay turns back on Ruby Soho and joins up with Ty Conti again. So a lot of these people are very fickle. And so they lower the, they beat up Ruby Soho. They lower the shark cage with the heels in it. What? You're forgetting a big part. Well, they've got the key too. By this point, the fans are groaning. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's abominable. This is rotten, and the people are just grumbling, as you mentioned, and groaning while all this is transpiring in front of them. But the best part that really, now they started to giggle. At least they entertained the fans with this, because Ty Conti got the key and couldn't unlock the padlock on the shark cage to let the heels out. And she's fiddling, and she's fiddling, and she's fiddling. And finally... Brian, I know you know because you saw it, but I will surprise the fans listening with the method in which the heels got out of the shark cage. You you want to tell them or you want me to tell them? Oh, please, you tell them. I'll tell them. They just turned sideways and walked through the bars. I'm not making this up. They locked the heels in a cage so they couldn't interfere in the match. And when the girl was too stupid to turn the key in the padlock and open the door, they just turned sideways and walked through the bars. So now they all got in the ring and got fake, bad-looking heat on Kingston. But then here came all the baby faces, and you couldn't even tell which. Just now it's 10 or 12 guys fighting at ringside. but. They got in, the, in that big brawl, 10 guys, and then, well, you know what they did, Brian. They, they, they fought off. They just fought off. 10 or 12 people are having a fucking wild hay rube all around the ring, and suddenly they've disappeared so that Kingston and Jericho can take more bumps into barbed wire. 
and everybody else disappears. Then Kingston comes at Jericho with a chair wrapped in barbed wire, swings it like Paul Bunyan. Jericho jumps up and gives Kingston a code breaker. And Kingston's chair comes down on Jericho's face and he breaks his own nose. <sighs> then Jericho well, gets just, the chair. Just well, clarify, you're not using hyperbole. He broke his own nose. No, he broke his own nose. His nose is broken. And he's the one that did it. His move to Kingston <laughs> propelled the barbed wire wrapped chair into his own face. And we're not done yet. Because now Jericho gets the chair and hits Kingston with the two fakest, lightest, most obviously worked chair shots in history. Remember when Hulk Hogan did the worst chair shot ever in what, WCW in 1997? This was worse. And then Kingston comes back from being hit with a barbed wire chair, but not hard, and hits his back fist and gets a two count. And then he wraps Jericho up in barbed wire and gets him in a stretch plum. But now here comes Sammy Guevara. And he just jumps in the ring, gets on Kingston. And they're starting to get heat on Kingston again. And there's poor referee Donald Stevens, completely powerless to do anything about this. By the way, did you hear that Aubrey Edwards changed her name to Donald Stevens? Well, that's the name that people are alleging she uses online to have people have content taken down. She's using a fake name, an alias. Yes, yes, with addresses tied to the AEW offices. And uh, apparently she's all elite, though, because one of the uh, signs also was Don Stevens is all elite. <laughs> so then Jericho hits a Judas elbow with barbed wire wrapped around his elbow. And again, that's where my DVR froze because they were so drastically low on time. They weren't trying to run over again. They're just always low on time because they can't manage their time. So I had to watch the clip of the finish on Twitter. And I can't describe to you what they were trying to do because they were going to do a thing where it was Sammy and Jericho were going to hold Kingston, but Kingston was going to do some kind of duck and their shit was going to backfire. But by the time they botched it once, and then Eddie kind of halfway turned around and shoved somebody, it ended up looking like that Sammy just hauled off and punched Jericho in the face while he was looking at him for no reason. And then Jericho beat Eddie Kingston, because there's not going to be anybody that's ever actually going to get over in a program with Jericho. But then Kingston responded by throwing Jericho into a netting or webbing of barbed wire where he could lay there and sell in a spastic fashion. And then they went off the air. Was this... I think because of the timing, this wasn't the worst match ever on AEW. Imagine how much territory that takes in. But because of the timing and what they're doing to themselves, the self-inflicted wounds to their own feet, this could have been the worst thing they ever did. It was embarrassing. It was phony looking. Obviously outlaw. Wrong guy won. All the gimmicks misfired, didn't work, wouldn't open, whatever the case. Guy broke his own nose. 
what the fuck else could they have done to in one segment to fuck anything else up? The run that Chris Jericho's on is especially bad. He's had so many bad moments in AEW, so many of the most embarrassing matches and moments he's been right in the middle of, and they've come from his head. But especially lately, Tony has just been letting him run unleashed. And this unleashed Chris Jericho is unwatchable. This was embarrassing. This was bad. It was sloppy, embarrassing sloppy, not just regular sloppy. Eddie Kingston has not come out of this feud looking. The feud's not even done. They're not even done with the feud. (laughs) Come out of the feud. They're still in the middle of this. Remember when Kingston could have been the hottest thing in wrestling if they'd have just capitalized on that one article. Speaking of articles, hey, I'm going to close up with this because we've been here for a while and we've still got to get to the Ring of Honor pay-per-view. So I'm going to close up on this sad chapter in American history with this. Dave Shearer at at PWInsider.com just a couple of days ago, if anybody wants to check it out, find it, wrote an article about AEW and this barbed wire bullshit. And Dave doesn't like blood at all in wrestling. And he said, you know, now with what we know about bloodborne diseases, we shouldn't do it at all. I disagree with him there because you need blood in wrestling because it's violence and it's it's combat. And if it's done right and you can't see through it, then blood is absolutely necessary in certain occasions, but only when people know what they're doing and it's a main match with money-drawn talent, then it means something. Elsewise, it's just this indie Mark bullshit, where they get a kick. Who look like Britt Baker wanted to get juice on TV, so Uncle Dave would give her stars or fucking planets or moons or whatever. But Dave wrote in this article, it's so unnecessary not only to not run fans off who don't want to see this outlaw deathmatch garbage bullshit. But it's the stupidest thing they could be doing right now with this timing. The WWE is in more business trouble than they've been in the past 25 years. They're getting bad publicity. The leader has stepped down. There's probably turmoil you know, on the inside as to who's going to be running what, but they're more vulnerable now than they have ever been before. And in, what, two years or less, these TV rights fees and deals, which has now replaced selling tickets as the biggest revenue stream for a wrestling promotion, WWE is going to be renegotiating all that shit. And it's supposed to be take them even further up the financial ladder. But do the networks want to pay that much money out? Or... Would the networks be looking around for another wrestling promotion that might at least be able to come into the conversation so there's some negotiating on both sides going on? Well, hey, if you don't want to take our offer, then we're going to go over here and talk to this other wrestling promotion that has a bunch of your names, and it's got between a half and a third of your audience, and that's before we bring it on to our network and do our promotion. It would be a tactic to negotiate that the TV networks could use. Tony Khan could be involved in those conversations 
except for the fact that they're so outlaw garbage wrestling minded to appeal to the small subsection of marks that enjoy that kind of thing and don't give a shit about a professional product and don't give a shit about credible stars and don't give a shit about talented people. They just want to see chaos, blood, and train wrecks. That not only is a limited number that has not grown in three years, Tony. No matter who you add, something's happened to keep them uh, not coming back for more when you add them. But here, that that's the thing is, advertisers and television networks do not want television programs where people are blatantly slicing themselves open with razor blades, and the advertisers especially do not want customers that want to watch people do that. They don't want those kind of people. So all somebody has to do from the WWE, if any TV network or broadcasting facility was going to use AEW as an example, well, hey, we could go with these guys. Well, sure, look what they'd show on your television station and show them obvious cutting with razor blades and people rolling around in barbed wire and women bleeding, and everybody saying, Moxley, go fuck yourself, and whatever the fuck, everybody's saying shit. It's a clown show, it's amateur, it's unprofessional, and that would sabotage any effort that Tony would make to go anywhere else besides the company that he had the in with through his position with the Jaguars. And that guy has already left TBS and it's a whole nother hierarchy now with that merger. So why do this? Do you think any AEW fan is going to say, God damn it. That's it. Where's my hat? Give me my hat, Gomer. I'm throwing my hat down. I'm never watching this show again because I didn't get to see a barbed wire match with a fucking 50 something year old goddamn midlife crisis wannabe rock star slicing himself open with a fat guy from New York that could get over by talking, but he's too fucking wrapped up in his Japanese strong style bullshit to know what his talents are. That's a question that some programming executives might be asking. Do we want to look at this shit or do we want to put up with the WWE because at least they give us professionalism? Can you imagine if Frank Sinatra decided to, like, all of a sudden do Gigi Allen's act? That's what Chris Jericho's doing here. He's trying Thank to be you. something he's not. Thank you. That's a wonderful simile. What? You would have thought a guy like that could have taught these guys something about how to be more professional and maybe appeal to a broader audience. Instead, no. because he's got a goddamn crisis going on of whatever... He's dyeing his hair and slicing himself with razor blades, rolling around in barbed wire with his minions locked in a cage that they could get out of if they took a deep breath and held their stomach in. Can you imagine a panic attack you would have had if you were hoisted up in a cage that you could have just slipped right through the middle? Right Fuck, the that was the one good thing about the cages I was in. I couldn't get out of them. I wasn't going to fall out of the fucking thing. Is anyway, Chris Jericho, is Chris Jericho, seriously, serious question. Is Chris Jericho the most embarrassing wrestler in the business? Currently? Currently, the last few I'm, years. 
I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's a, you know, it's, it's pretty much a, a no contest at this point. Remember what you said about Moxley. I mean, you said about Moxley, you called him the worst wrestler in the world. You have to take everything into the equation. His position but, on the card, how he's used. Look at Jericho. Who's more embarrassing than Chris Jericho? Well, and that's the thing because Jericho at one point was a star, was a great talent, was really out there performing at a high level, blah, blah, blah. Moxley, I don't think ever has. So it's even worse for Jericho because he was good. He knows how to do this shit. He was good once. But uh, I don't know what has entered his mind that he thinks that he needs to do this just to appeal to the younger generation when in actuality he ought to show the younger generation the appeal of quality professional wrestlers of his generation and why that the audience was four or five times bigger when they were all on top. And instead, bleh. He latched on to hold on. He needed something to hold on to. And he found all these young guys. He didn't go there to bring his expertise. He went there to do every dumb thing he's ever wanted to do. Well, I think he's pretty much accomplished that. How much more could be on his list? That's a... I think he's checked everything off. I'd, he's been pushed off high objects onto crash pads. He's gotten juice on TV several times right out in front of God and everybody. He's, uh, yeah, well, all right. Closing thoughts on on this match. And the people he talks into doing this stuff with him. The problem is he talks Tony into going along with this stuff, and then he convinces all of these other guys to go along with it too. And I don't know how many of them truly realize how detrimental it is to them when Chris Jericho latches onto you. Because it's a stink you can't get rid of. It's a B.O. you can't get out of your car. And MJF's the only one who's successfully gotten away from him and had a fine career since then. And they used Bonami. <laughs> there you go. What a nice throwback to the ghost and Mr. Chicken. <laughs> the horribleness and awfulness of it will never actually be forgotten. And that was AEW. Let's see what they do next week. Maybe it'll be a live fucking beheading. That'll, that'll uh, get the networks all fired up to bid for the product. Well, that was that, as I mentioned, and uh, now we go to something that we actually look forward to. Folks, we are going to take a brief pause in this recording, and in a couple hours or a few hours, we're going to watch the Ring of Honor pay-per-view, and we're going to be back with the results of that, including the FTR and Briscoe Brothers rematch. But right before we get to that, Brian, what in the world? What in the wide, wide world of sports is happening over at the Arcadian Vanguard Network this week? Another fine, scandal-free week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Check out information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. Breaking Kayfabe with Baldrin and Barry is celebrating 250 episodes. Hear the celebration today at BaldrinPod.com, or look for Breaking Kayfabe with Baldrin and Barry wherever you find your favorite podcast. Go through the archive. Here, yes, all 250 episodes, right now, for free, at BaldrinPod.com, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Also want to make mention, you know, Jim, you and I had a great discussion last week during my plugs about Mid-South Wrestling, because Mike Mills and I have gotten to 84, 
And we're now several weeks in as we are recording. And for everyone who's a fan of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review, new episodes coming very soon. We're actually recording a whole bunch right now. And we're having a great time. So stay tuned. These are great episodes. 1984, that golden year. You know what? I'm not justifying it. And I'm not saying I agree with it. But seeing how Mid-South comes, as I said on the show, shot out of a cannon into 1984, I understand why someone like Ted DiBiase thinks it was all hot shotting. <laughs> because seeing what it was, and then seeing almost instantly in 1984, by the second week of 84, there's no segment you could skip over. There's always something happening, and there's always central key things happening or said in the commentary. You can't skip anything. And it's not like hot shotting like crazy angles, although. The first tape of the year, they do some crazy things to get people over. You guys, of course, Tar and Feather, Magnum TA, and you have nuclear heat. And we'll talk about in a future episode the week after when it's the first 12 minutes of the show where you at the podium with Watts. And it's the first interaction with you and Watts like that. And it's incredible. But that's also, I think, the week that the Russians get a noose and try to hang Terry Taylor. A forgotten angle. People forget Terry Taylor. Three weeks in the Mid-South Wrestling being hanged on TV. Hey, let me, let me tell you a story about that. Because, if, I mean, the news with Russians comes from, what was it, uh, uh, Khrushchev, it was, it was some imagery with that. But they tried to hang Terry Taylor on, on TV. And then as heat afterwards in the matches in the arenas, you know, they would, a DQ, whatever, wild chaos going on, they're beating Terry down. One night, Darso, Crusher Darso, who was the Russian sympathizer, later to become part of Demolition, but he's got Terry over the goddamn rope, or over the uh, ring rope, with the noose around his neck, trying to hang him right, and the bell's ringing, and Nikolai Volkov is knocking people off the apron that are trying to come and save him, you know, all the baby faces. This fucking guy came over the rail with a knife and cut Terry down. And and in the process, cut Darso's bootlaces. This was, I think, it was Alexandria, as a matter of fact, Louisiana. When he he grabbed that rope with that knife and cut the fucking knife hard enough that when he went through with it, he came right across Darso's shin and cut all the bootlaces on his boot. So yeah, that, that we had some heat, all of us. That's incredible. You know, also around this period of time, let me ask you while we're talking about this, the debut of Masao Ito, and they do the thing where a young babyface Rick Rude gets choked and just starts spitting up blood all over the place. What do you remember about that? That's the end of Rick Rude in Mid-South, pretty much. Well, yeah, because he was part of the trade with uh, Jarrett in Tennessee, and so he was headed up there. And that was where I learned how to do the, uh, the bleed from the mouth without hurting anyone it was there that was the first time you saw it that was the first time i saw it in person and then we used that later on with ricky morton i'm gonna be a prick and not even reveal the secrets now i probably have somewhere else (laughs) i think you have a few times for the sake of bogging this down we won't well of course you'll hear more in the coming weeks go through the archive today here 82 and 83 at midsouthpod.com or look for the mid-south wrestling television review with me and mike mills wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership!
Some things in production right now, some big Arcadian Vanguard things in production right now, but go through the archive today at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts, The Mothership. All right, I like that, and another thing I hope to like will be the Ring of Honor pay-per-view, of course airing wherever you find your favorite pay-per-views this Saturday night as we are recording. Let's go to this right now. When we return, it'll be Sunday morning and a review of Ring of Honor. Hopefully you're hearing this Sunday night. All right, folks, we're back, and this ain't going to take long. Brian, some people in the world think that I just blow up in anger over every little incident. The light bulb blows, and oh, my God, and whatever. And it's not like that. You've had enough experience with me to know that it's not like that at all. It's an accumulation, a building of things, a steady ramping up of frustrations until finally something happens at the right time for me to make headlines if I'm out in public. You may remember, if you're a longtime listener of this program, we haven't done this in about six months or so, the Spectrum public service announcement. If you have Spectrum cable, telephone, television, internet, whatever the fuck, you're an idiot just like me. Because that's what I've got. And the longtime listeners, those for more than six months, will remember that about six months ago, you and I were having problems with our Skype trying to record these programs that I called these incompetent numb nuts, these turd blossom nitwits at Spectrum, and they sent a guy out, and after he talked to three of their technicians on the phone for an hour apiece, and then told us that they all three did wrong things, he left the house, and the Skype has been working since then, and all I'm doing is paying twice as much as I should be paying for half of what I'm supposed to get. But the next time that I call these no-good, incompetent, criminal pieces of shit who've been stealing my money to come over here in this house, and they don't fix it, which it's that's going to happen because they can't fix anything. They've been out here multiple times. It costs me more money every time. The next time, I've told everybody, I'm going to yank every goddamn wire out of these walls, never do one of these shows again, and physically assault the Spectrum representative here in my home. So I've chosen to ignore them and just pay them twice as much as I'm supposed to. However, I did have one problem with ordering a pay-per-view about six months ago when they redid all this shit, and then that cleared up. And since then, I've not had a single problem. I've been able to have every rotten, stinking, phony, boring, bullshit pay-per-view put out by every wrestling promotion that we've watched, delivered right to my television. But the one that I want to see, Brian, that's where they got me. And there was the straw that broke the formerly fat manager's back. For the last three weeks, I've had people crawling all over my house from basement to ceiling. I have had plumbers, electricians, Heating and air people, contractors, drywallers, painters. They've been banging on the walls to the point where I had to take pictures down 
on the other side because I thought things were going to cave in. I have been told on a daily basis the rotten, illegal work that was done 20 years ago by that shyster contractor I had that I can't find that I believe has moved out of the city of Louisville and I know that his foreman is dead in a suspicious drowning accident that I regret not having anything to do with. And the expense has doubled of this project and the timeline is doubled. And I've been going back and forth, as I mentioned, multiple times a day for eight hours a day in 100 degree heat and oppressive fucking humidity all the while signing action figures, running my merchandise business, watching these rotten wrestling programs four days a week, and then recording these fine podcasts. Over the last week, I've had three or four different entities fuck up in some kind of fashion, simple shit, whether it be sending me defective merchandise that is not worth the goddamn time and trouble to send back, or not following simple instructions. And so on Saturday evening, after the painters left, I said, fuck it, I'm going to do for the first time, because I want to see at least two, maybe more of these matches. I'm not going to DVR it and zip through it tomorrow and make notes and willy-nilly. I'm going to sit down like a fan. I'm going to watch this live. I've ordered it three days ahead of time. Purchase, yes. Record, yes. Everything's all set. I sit down on the couch. I've got my pad. I got my pen. I got my Sprite. I'm ready. I'm even going to get the countdown show. It's 7 p.m. Eastern. I'm going to do this whole experience. And all of a sudden, there's a black screen. What the fuck? There's no red light saying it's recording. What the fuck? I hit the goddamn thing. The guide or whatever. It tells me I'm on the thing. And then it pops up. We can't fulfill your order. Call 1-800-BLOW-ME. And I've tried to call 1-800-BLOW-ME before with these people. And that's all that they did was blow me. They didn't fix any fucking thing. So I sit there, and finally I say, I have my Popeye moment. I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. After all of this, the only wrestling show that I have wanted to watch on purpose in months, these motherfuckers at Spectrum that have been taking my money well over $1,000 now after six months that I wouldn't have paid, because I'm not getting the service that they're selling me. And now this. So I make the calm, reasonable, and rational decision to go out in the garage and bash some shit with a baseball bat. So I get the bat, and I go out there, <clears throat> and I start laying waste to three or four cartons of Jim Cornette commentator playsets. Not the individual playset itself, that'd be too small a target. The cartons of multiple plays. So by the way, if you want to order those at jimcornette.com, I got about 60 fewer than I did before. So be aware. So I hammer the fuck out of those things for about 50 whacks 
and I'm almost finished venting my frustrations, but the bat breaks in half, so I got to quit. So then I come upstairs, and I get my phone, and I call you, and in a calm, rational tone, I inquire of you, Brian, where the fuck we can see this thing besides on actual goddamn real pay-per-view television. I believe you remember it that way, don't you? You absolutely called me about how we could possibly see this on TV, yes. In a calm and reasonable fashion. You were somewhat reasonable. You were out of breath. You were on the move. Yeah, I'd I'd been swinging. (laughs) I haven't swung that many fucking bats in a while. So then you inform me that, well, it's on whatever this fucking Bleacher Report is. I assumed that was a sequel novel to the famous New York Times bestseller Under the Bleachers by Seymour Butts. And you say Bleacher Report. I said, well, what? So basically the Bleacher Report deal is you watch it live on on your computer or you got to wait 24 hours for the replay. So if I don't watch it right goddamn then, I've got to wait 24 hours for the replay. Now, the issue is I didn't mind trying to stay up in my reclining couch in the TV room with a 72-inch screen and comfort, but I'll be goddamned if I'm going to watch a four-hour fucking wrestling show on this computer screen that I can't get five feet away from without not being able to see it or hear it anymore all the way till midnight when I've been up since 6.30 on Saturday morning. And I get pissed about that. And I go back downstairs, go back out in the garage, grab a broomstick to compensate for the broken bat and resume bashing shit, which by now has attracted Stacy's attention. And she's come out to determine whether I'm going to have a heart attack or a stroke. And when I finish bashing that shit, I walk off over to the other end of the house out in the yard so I can sit on my bench under my maple tree and catch my breath and determine which of the offices of Spectrum I'm going to be knocking on the door of with a fucking firebomb or something. Well, then she comes out and walks down there and brings me a cold drink and asks me to calm down before I bust some kind of aneurysm. And I said, all right, I'm coming. So as I come back in the house, I figure I'll sit down and I'll just watch television. (sighs) I sit down to watch TV. And Brian, I can't get the big box off my screen that says we can't fulfill your order over the black screen of the pay-per-view. I can't change the channel. I can't, I turned the cable box off. I turned it back on. I unplug. I did every goddamn thing that I could think of to do. And then I went back out in the yard and started looking for a stick. Well, then Stacy comes in behind me and starts punching buttons on the remote just at random and somehow goes to our DVR, which then leads us back to our cable guide, which then leads us back to television. And she comes out to tell me that. And as I come in to sit down, 
<clears throat> she says, where's Harley? I said, what do you mean, where's Harley? She was upstairs with you. Well, she's not up here. Well, she's not down here. I said, could she have possibly walked out behind you when you came out to find me? I don't know. Oh, shit. So now I said, you look in here. I'll look out there. I go outside. And Brian, I have not run this fast in 25 years. And I don't intend to ever do it again. I did two full loops in flip-flops at a dead run around this entire house. I've estimated that's about two football fields because I wasn't turning tight corners either, looking for this dog, screaming for Harley. And I can't, she is nowhere. And there's no way she's wandered that far off. I can't think what the fuck. I turn around right as Stacy's coming out to meet me. I found her. In the middle of all this chaos, after I'd called you, I left the door to the stairs to the office floor open. And when Stace came downstairs and I wasn't up there, Harley didn't know where we were and came up the stairs to find us. Which, she has not gone up those stairs in months, especially since she's been having trouble with her right leg. And we had, and there was no lights on and we had no idea, so Stace looked and saw the door open and ran up there and found her. I come in and lay down on the floor, more blown up than since I last fucking wrestled a bunkhouse match with the Fantastics and nearly puked on the floor after running those laps in the, still at 8 o'clock at night, 90-something degree fucking weather. And as I'm laying there sweating and heaving and ready to puke, Stacy says, I got that bleacher report thing on the TV in the bedroom. And I said, I don't care if it's Luthez back from the dead, two out of three falls in a shoot with Frank Gotch. I ain't watching any fucking wrestling. Because I don't know how the bleacher report works to begin with. And I'd had enough for the day. So, what we are going to do, <clears throat> now that we know what basically happened, I'm going to watch between now and the time that we record the drive through in about less than 48 hours. I'm going to watch the Briscoes and FTR, Jay Lethal and Samoa Joe, and Claudio Castagnoli and Jonathan Gresham I always thought he was an author. I didn't realize he was multifaceted. And the rest of it can go piss up a rope. And that'll learn me to ever actually want to see a wrestling program again. Brian, your thoughts on my review of Death Before Dishonor? Well, I guess to summarize it, to put it in the books, you really put the blame on Spectrum. Any final words you have about Spectrum? Yes, I would like to grab every single one of you motherfuckers from the CEO down to the lowliest installer around the throat and squeeze you until your britches fill up and your voices all sound like Peter Frampton's electronic kazoo solo in Do You Feel Like We Do? Fuck Spectrum. Fuck your company. Fuck all of your families. Fuck your friends and fuck anybody who likes you. Don't get Spectrum. 
All right, that was the first mention of Peter Frampton since a keep spot a while back. But of course, as Jim said, we will be discussing the parts of the Ring of Honor pay-per-view event, Death Before Dishonor, that he watches on the drive through this week. We'll also probably have some media scrum audio because people well, really yeah, like also, that. I, while I'm goddamn in, my, in the shower trying to fucking regain my composure and blood pressure after I almost heaved up my fucking dinner... I'm trending on Twitter around the world and didn't even know about it because they're talking about me again at their media scrum for their show. So we'll find out what that was all about as well. Well, it was nothing bad, so you don't have to be ready for well, a fight Well, I'm saying, right no, I, I, I know it wasn't bad. Oh, it was bad for the people who, <laughs> for the kind of people who don't like that kind of thing. That's the kind of thing those people don't like. They couldn't stand to hear Tony Khan and or uh, one of the greatest wrestlers currently in the world be complimentary about uh, moi. Moi. We will have more on that, and I'm sure... Should I, should I join the maximum male models? You got Massey you, and Mansoir. You know what? Moi. I'll tell you what. Let's end on a happy note. I don't know why I would call this a happy note, but... I'm going to make a note here in my notes that we're talking about this. Apparently, Max Dupree is no longer involved with the Maximum. He's out. And the Maxine Dupree character has replaced him from what the reports are publicly. And I haven't even talked to anyone about this. They found him difficult to work with or they didn't like him. So now they just scrapped him. Well, the quote that I saw was rubbed some people the wrong way. And that here's the thing. When they first said his sister's coming, I thought they're going to do the old goddamn deal where the guy dresses up as his own sister. What is that? <laughs> is it like the Beverly Hillbillies, Jethro and Jethreen Bodine. And apparently, and I'm, I, I'm not Nostradamus or anything. Some might say Nostradamus. And I can't uh, read people's minds, but I guarantee goddamn you what happened. Here's L.A. Knight who becomes Eli Drake. Did I get that right? Or was it vice versa? It was Eli vice versa. Drake became yeah. L.A. Knight. And we've said this when he was in NXT, when he was other places. The guy can work. He can talk. He's got personality. He's animated. He's got experience. He's a an adult who looks like it and talks like it. Um, it, it he is a, a pro wrestler that can get something out of almost anybody. When they put him in with green guys in NXT, he made them passable if that was better than they normally were. And with good guys, he's very good. He can do all that stuff. So what do they do? They bring him from NXT where he's been fighting for the championship and he shows up on the main roster and he's a goddamn, he's wearing glasses and a bow tie or whatever the fuck he was. And he's a, a male model agent named Max Dupree, which he had a completely different name two weeks ago on same goddamn network or whatever. And then they spend time him building up that he's going to bring in this, these talents. And by the time they show up, not only have they completely stripped LA Knight, Eli Drake, Max Dupree, or the, real person underneath of any kind of his personality or his promo or his mannerisms. They've got him dressed up like fucking Pismo Poindexter and telling 
people that these guys are runway models, Marseille and Mansois and Sui Sui, because the hogs had this one. It was embarrassing. You could tell how uncomfortable he was. He would never speak like that in a million years. This was a completely different person. And I guarantee you that all along the way to that, he was, and rightfully so, asking people, what the fuck is this? What are you, what in the world is this? I've been doing this over here, and that's why you brought me up to the main roster, and now you want to completely change everything and make this me, which is not. And what sense does this, this make? And where is this going? And all the questions that you would ask when it's your fucking career that some goddamn glorified college graduate fucking comedy writers are trying to make a hoot out of. For Vince, this is one of the last Vince gimmicks. Well, and I'm sure he probably asked Vince too, because at that point, why not? If somebody is pointing a gun at you and say, walk the plank, you might as well say, well, just shoot now and save me the fucking jump. So, of course, I'm sure he rubbed people the wrong way when he looked at them like they had steaming turds hanging out of their mouths. And so, what the fuck is this? And what the fuck are you trying to do? I'm sure he said it much more nicely than that, but they don't like that shit. But, no, I'm surprised that... I mean, I've I've met the guy a few times. We're not close friends. I'm an admirer of his work and worked with him a couple times in the NWA. But I'll guarantee you... From what I could see, they would almost have to hold a member of his family hostage to have made him go out and do that first introduction that we scoffed at and made so much fun of because nobody would do that willingly unless, like I said, a family member, pet, held hostage, will fire you if you don't go out and do this and turn you into the goddamn authorities or something. There had to be something hanging over his head. They probably sold him on it as, just give it a shot. Yeah, well, they found out it wouldn't. And then he, and then he could say, like I did to gutless Gary Jester that time. Well, I was right. But so now, well, that, and it's actually, it makes more sense for the, I haven't even seen his sister, sister in quotation marks, but it makes, she comes out and here's these sexy guys and nobody will give a shit, but at least maybe, Eli Drake can go somewhere where he'll be appreciated. I was just looking on Twitter to see what else is tr what else trending. What else is trending uh, other than you? And Baba Wawa? And right now trending is Kevin Dunn. And another one unrelated to Kevin Dunn, this is what made me laugh. Rapey McForehead is trending. What? <laughs> Matt Wait, Gates. What? Congressman Matt Gates. I guess they're calling him Rapey, Rapey McForehead. McForehead. I found out because I was like, what the <laughs> hell is this? And I clicked it and that's what came up. But that's what's trending right now. Rapey McForehead. <laughs> well, at least I'm in good company. I see it too. Kevin Dunn. Rapey McForehead took my spot. I was, I was in the middle spot on my thing here. Son of a gun. Everyone's looking at Kevin Dunn. You really didn't talk too much about that when we talked about Vince, the idea that this could be the end of Kevin Dunn's run in WWE and his influence in WWE. Well, and uh, we mentioned it uh, earlier that you, nobody's the executive producer of anything for 40 years, but also, you know, it's, it's time for something to change. And if they're going to change 
the the product in any appreciable way, they got to get rid of Kevin Dunn because he's been the primary Vince whisperer behind this is entertainment, we're not wrestling, don't have anything to do with wrestling. That miserable little fucking bucktooth bastard. It just hates the idea. And we've talked about it many times. Hates the idea he's in the wrestling business and will not admit it to anybody. So, you know, I don't I haven't cared for 30 years whether he burst into spontaneous combustion or not. But he's older than I am, and he's looked it too for a long time. How much older, actually? I never thought about that. I don't know. He's been older than than I am ever since I first met him. I don't know how much, but, you know, but he stayed ahead of me. So it's, you know, it's time for him to go off. It's not like he's hurting for money. He's leached millions of dollars off of a business that he didn't even want to be in and wasn't proud enough of to fucking admit it. So maybe we'll get some better camera work. Maybe we'll get some more sports-based presentation. He's been the, I mean, even past the writers and et cetera, of people who take it, Vince takes their advice. He's been the main proponent for goofy, bullshit, bad entertainment in wrestling for ever since I was there. So, it'll, I mean, it'll be good riddance, but we'll we'll see how long it takes. I think one of the reasons he's trending is the stories going around about something from 2006 where Kevin Dunn, I have to read the whole thing here. He either didn't want to push Becky Lynch or he didn't want to use Becky Lynch because he didn't think she was attractive enough and he hated her accent. Oh, yeah. Wait, I think it was, it wasn't 2006, was it? Was it that long ago? Has she been around that long? But at, at one point, yeah, it was like she he didn't like her accent and didn't want to put, you know, he's another one. 2016, of the, excuse me. 2006, there you go. He's another one of the, uh, you know, big fake boobies and lingerie model. Uh, Laurenitis was was uh, signing women that Kevin Dunn wholeheartedly agreed with. He didn't care because he doesn't care about wrestling and he didn't care about making the business look goofy. He just likes, as a matter of fact, that's what he said one time to somebody who was telling me they were on the plane. I can't remember how this came up, but they're on the private plane with Vince and somebody's telling a story about one and, and Kevin Dunn sitting there, of course, like Renfield. Uh, next to Dracula, right next to Vince, going, yeah, she needs some boobies. Oh, it was one of the girls was flat-chested. So Kevin said, yeah, she needs some boobies. And everybody was going around for a while afterwards imitating how he said, boobies. Anyway. And I guess one of the big things you're talking about influence, if he really is gone, from your experience there alone, the guys that he put down, the guys that he didn't want to use, the guys that never got, guys and girls, who never got used, because of Kevin Dunn saying that he didn't believe in them and trying to convince Vince of it. What do you think of that? I mean, how many people, how many people's careers were hurt by Kevin Dunn? And how many people, I remember you and Percy, Paul Barrow, sitting down for an interview years ago and him going yeah. off on Kevin Dunn. How you many people what? didn't like him when you were there? Um, well, uh, uh, some people, like there was this one kid, I won't mention anybody's name, this one kid worked in the studio just loved him, just adored him. He was kind of like a production assistant guy. And boy, after I fucking blistered him, uh, old Bucky in Nova Scotia that time at the meeting, that one little production assistant, he didn't want, he was very brusque with me. Yes, Jim. No, Jim. After that, he was upset. <laughs> Other people were like grinning, like, God, we wish we could have said that shit. It just depended. It depended on who it was. And you ask whose careers did I don't know. Cause here's another thing. It's not like, 
that I spent a lot of time in any meetings with Kevin Dunn and Vince together where it wasn't a production meeting about the show or production meeting about what we're, we're doing on television, just bullshitting around. I wasn't, and, and Kevin was good at that where he wouldn't let a lot of people hear him saying, oh, that guy sucks or whatever. But I do know that just as an overall reputation or summation or opinion of the guy, I think I've told this before, but I'll tell you this, and that tells you enough about Kevin Dunn. There were a number of ex-WWE expatriates or refugees or whatever in TNA back in 2007, 8, 9. And after the production meeting there, we're sitting around Mike Tanay, Don West, and some of those people. Terry Taylor was one. And we're somehow that Kevin Dunn came up. And as we were talking about him, not mentioning his name, but just the phrase came out, that little prick's the most just miserable son of a bitch I've ever been around. Somebody else walked in the door without hearing the setup to the conversation and said, are you talking about Kevin Dunn? <laughs> like, God damn it. That was perfect. That's the summit. He's a little fucking miserable prick most of the time. He has that look on his face and he's got that attitude and that demeanor that unless he's sitting next to Vince Dracula, he's just miserable. So that's my opinion of Kevin Dunn and other people's too. We'll keep everyone posted if he and other executives depart at any point soon. But for everything else, I guess we'll be back on the drive-thru. I forgot this is my show, isn't it? It is. Yeah, well... it started good and we hoped for a positive ending and then it all fell to shit so come back next week and we'll do the same thing we'll hope for good and we'll <laughs> fall to shit and until then for another episode of the experience fuck spectrum and bye-bye wednesday nights i get to stay up late which kenny omega while i masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch the show. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo.
much Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey, mom, don't come in. Go away, I'm watching wrestling. Go away, I'm watching wrestling. Oh, this is wrestling heaven. Don't listen to Cordy, he hasn't been relevant since 87. He thinks that Luchasaurus can't work a lick, or that Bobby Eaton could hold a camera to either Matt or him. He wants to cut up our heroes with a rusty fishing knife, or get them in the hot tub to play Scott the Submarine with him and his wife. And no, man, I'm not bitter. This has nothing to do with Jim blocking me on Twitter. And now, here comes Miro. Wearing pajamas like me, he's my hero. The young bucks could shoot on Buzz Sawyer. Make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer. Don't come in, Mom. Don't come in. Are you touching yourself again? No. Choo-choo the Wi-Fi password. Mom, no. Wednesday nights, I get to stay up late. Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch this show Elser says I'm in the key demo I am 39, I'm in the key demo I'm a single male, I'm in the key demo oh, Elser says I'm in the key demo